On today's show... You ready? Howard gets a visit from the Piano Man. Whoa, it is guy. As we welcome five-time Grammy-winning musician... That's awesome. ...singer, songwriter, and composer... Billy Joel. I love the piano because of things like meeting Christy Brinkley and Elle McPherson. It's opened the world That brought me there. And also, when I'm home and it's late at night, I just sit down and I start playing. And I like what I'm hearing. Right. I can entertain myself. I've been able to do that since I was a little kid. They say that these are not the best of times. They're the only times I've ever known. Yeah, I I spent uh, all last night... That sounds weird. Hold on. There you go. Um, now you're ready. Now I'm ready. I spent uh, all last night listening to Billy Joel songs, watching performances, and um, he really is the greatest. I mean, it is unbelievably mind blowing. The songs this guy has written and the performances. Oh my God! I went back and was watching a whole bunch of live performances back in the day, and uh, you know I was just getting myself pumped up to talk to Billy, and I was getting overwhelmed by the amount of music and uh, great songs that he's written, and so you know I, I started to think, oh my God, this guy is such a treasure, really, just an unbelievable treasure. With the music he's written and the thoughts that he has, and the yeah, and I started, and I and I was reading some of the comments that people write online, and they're like, yeah, nobody nobody has this kind of talent anymore. There's not the great singer songwriter anymore who doesn't rely on tricks, and uh, he can actually play live. Doesn't need to, uh, you know, uh, use uh, auto tune or these other tricks that so many singers use today to get through it, and. Um, you know, it, it's almost not even, it's not mandatory anymore to be able to do everything that these guys used to do. And it's not even that, mandatory it, to be able to sing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's weird. It really is weird, so kind of pumped to see Billy. I haven't seen, you know, I, I um, uh, Billy, uh, every summer, certainly in the summer, we would uh, see each other and have dinner uh, with the wives, the whole thing. And uh, since COVID, I haven't seen him for two years. I write him occasionally. He writes me occasionally, very, very infrequently. It's not a uh, like a close friendship, but whenever we see each other, we're very happy to see each other. We have a good time. But uh, it's been a long time. And uh, this guy, he's something else to be around. He's just a delightful kind of guy who talks and, you know, tells you stories. And he's a great storyteller and, and you know. And it's pretty amazing story, his story. I, I I think about him a lot because, I mean, I should wait till he gets here, but, you know, Billy could play Mozart at six years old. And I, when I say Mozart, I don't mean like, like rinky-dink kind of piano lesson Mozart. I mean, the guy could improvise his own music. I mean, he was a true prodigy. Father was a pianist, left him when he was eight. and Left him? Yeah, left the family, moved to Europe. Yeah, really. Billy, Billy downplays that, but I don't buy it. I uh, I always press him on it because I go, Billy, don't you think you started music became the driving force in your life? Um, not only because you had ability, but it was the only way you could connect with your father. Your father literally was absent. So how else do you get to know your father if your father's absent than to create this? 
shared bond through music. Even though he's not there, it's, oh, I understand my father's love of music. It's, it's a way of having a relationship with your father when he's not there. It's the only thing you connect, connect with him on because he's, he's literally not there for you. So did he get leave him and never be in touch or I think they were in touch. You could imagine when your father lives in Europe, you're not that in touch, you know, back not the day. back then. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> you nobody was just giving over to Europe every other weekend. <laughs> I used to pray my father would move to Europe. But uh, yeah, I wanted to put my family on the space shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> I sent him to the moon. <sighs> Where's Robin's dad? He's on the moon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, but uh, anyway, I, I I don't want to get too into the Billy thing because I'm going to wait till he gets here. And but I always love talking to this guy because when he, you know, the idea that Billy Joel is walking the planet, he's one of the greatest songwriters of all time, one of the biggest selling songwriters of all time. And so, if you get an opportunity to talk to him and sit him down and really talk about music. You can't squander that opportunity. Agreed? No. You just can't. You gotta, yeah. you gotta take that opportunity and go with it and you uh, jump on it. Yeah. It's mandatory listening for any fan of the show. Hear Billy Joel on here. Um, yeah. Hey, Sean, you're on in Massachusetts. What's up? Howard, Billy Joel is the greatest songwriter of all time. This is my Mick Jagger moment. Billy yeah, Joel well, is the best. He has, he has 12 albums. That's it. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about the all time greats, will will like, he get rid of whatever that is? No, I I request that now of all the listeners too. I'm going to hang up on him because, but he's right. Billy is one of you know McCartney, uh, John Lennon, Billy Joel, um, Mick Jagger's in there, right? Mick Joel. Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. But here's the thing with Billy. Billy didn't have a writing partner. You know, Billy wrote on his mm-hmm. own. And I uh, I give him extra points for that. That's a, well, you get a you get bonus points. There's some who have written on their own, too. Of course. Oh, there's tons of people who do. But that Billy is writes. special. I actually think it's harder to write with somebody else. Billy writes uh, all the lyrics and the music himself. So there you go. Uh, Marianne from Brooklyn, who's very excited. Yes, Marianne. Howard, I love the relationship between you and Billy Joel. I can't wait for him to come in, and I have three questions of mine. You ready for them? Go ahead. I like to ask Billy Joel, does he mind when his fans sing and dance when he's uh, on stage playing? Because I know that's one of your faux pas. You don't like that. I'd like to ask No, he likes it. I can answer that question. He likes it because... What Billy does is um, the front row seats, he never sells. He knows that scalpers will sell them for, like, you know, a fortune. And then he ends up with these stiffs who kind of sit there and stare at him, these very wealthy guys who can, you know, they're not the kind of fans that go berserk and dance and sing. He likes people up front dancing and singing. Uh, I've been to Billy Joel concerts, and there are so many assholes uh, behind me singing the words to prove they know the words. And I'm like, you know, I know the words, too, but I didn't come here to hear you. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to talk to Billy about that. You're right, Marianne. Yeah, I, I want to. You know what? I'm going to say I hate the it. Words. It's about it's about showing the love. It's about the feeling no. of the show. It's about paying homage to him. Imagine you pay. To, imagine, you know, how many times do you get to see Billy Joel? You, you pay and Marianne's behind you. Sing, uh, well, sing your favorite Billy Joel song. Here's what you're listening to instead of Billy. Sing, 
you're a piano man. <laughs> yeah, there you Sing go. Sing us a song tonight. We're all in the Billy. But Howard, really? I, I, look, I take it down a notch. If I know that I'm really in somebody's ear, you know, I sat be in, be in front of Clive Davis in with Rod Stewart, and Clive Davis said, shake it, girl, sing it. He was happy. He was thrilled that we were participating. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to ask Billy. You probably a, wanted to get in your pants. What's a good piano to buy for an intermediate piano student? My daughter is in her 20s. All right, I'll ask him that. that I'll, I'll ask him that. Thing. Did his new family uh, give him more creativity? I think when you have the new babies in the home, that sparks your creativity. I love you, Howard and Pete, Sing out the song of the piano man. Wow. I would not want to go to a concert and hear that behind me. I love Marianne, but I just, uh, not at a concert. I would throw her out the window. <laughs> hear there's a, a, a crow in the background. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Enough. I can't take it. Yeah, so... Um, but you don't like it when everybody flicks their bick and everybody's swaying. That's fine. Lick your bick. There's that's okay. too. That's so corny. Just shut up and watch the show. <laughs> you know what? I'm focused on Billy and the band. I love his band. I love that guy who plays the sax, that big tall guy. Mm. Um, I think he's kind of fun to watch. He kind of, he's really into the music. I don't know his name. I always forget it. But he's a nice guy. I met him a few times. And um, music here's you know if i was in charge of the world music would be appreciated in complete silence i don't need you well there is certain kinds of music that is can you should go to those concerts where it's uh completely mm. silent because people can't sing along Good. and they can't play along that's my kind of concert i like that it wouldn't be because it's opera and oh, it's classical music no. <laughs> well during that you could sing all you want <laughs> that that ain't music oh god mark rivera that's the name of the sax player great guy yeah a very talented man but uh yeah so anyway we'll uh we'll 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 talk to billy later in the show i know that uh you know i know so much stupid stuff about billy when marianne says and what was the uh, what's a good piano to get for a beginner? I know that Billy's first piano, mm-hmm. it was called the Howard, the Howard. I happen to know that trivia right there. So well, give that me an you A+. would remember because it's your name. Hey, whatever. Here's here's <laughs> here's something weird. Billy's first piano was called the Howard. That was the brand name. It was a I think a Baldwin piano or something, but a How the Howard. Uh-huh. Billy loved it so much he slept under it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a guy who loved the piano, and um, and here's the other weird thing. You know what his father's first name was? Howard. That's right, Howard. <laughs> Howard Joel. That's it. I can see we were on a theme. <laughs> yeah, so the whole thing will be about Howard. That's it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what can I tell you? Now, does is uh, well? I'm sure. I don't know if his father's still alive, but yeah, he is. Did he see his son's success? Yep, yep, he did. He did. All right. 
Just interview me and I'll tell you everything you need to know. Okay, because you know everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Know it all. You don't actually, Billy doesn't need to come in. I'll be Billy. You be Howard. And I'll tell well, you everything you need. The one thing you, you can't answer is why he likes it when people sing along. I, yeah, I can answer that. He likes okay. it. Okay. Yeah. I know, but you don't know why he likes it. He just likes it. He doesn't have an answer for that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Uh, what else? There's a guy who knows, he says he ran into Billy Joe. Where'd you run into Billy Joe? Hey, no, Howard. Hey, no. Uh, uh, last year, the day that Biden won the election, uh, my wife and I drove out to Sag Harbor for lunch, and we unintentionally pulled up in front of what I guess was Billy Joe's house. Yeah. He was on his, uh, he was on his second floor porch with an accordion playing God Bless America as uh, crowds and everyone were walking by just kind of waving up to him. It was, it was one of the coolest moments I've ever seen. Wow. Yeah, he's, uh, that's something I've talked to him about in private. I don't get Billy's uh, love for, like, living near people. Uh, I, um, oh, he was, lives near yeah. people and you don't understand that either. Yeah, I don't. Like, he's a very wealthy man. And to me, <laughs> you know, with his kind of wealth, I would live in a castle with a moat. And never see anyone. <laughs> Billy, like Billy, Billy enjoys seeing people. He loves walking around and, uh, you know, he's very uh, different than me that way. He, he enjoys. It was a beautiful house. Yeah. He was, yeah. it really is right in the middle of, of Stag Harbor. Oh, yeah. It doesn't Not, even make you know, sense. Give, give away where he lives. But no. Right. But you, you give away. I mean, the whole world knows. Everybody he, can see him out there. <laughs> he doesn't care. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't care. I, I go, Billy, what's up with that? I mean, you're a famous dude. I'm at him. But, you know, that's his thing. That's his thing. He likes it. He likes people. He likes being around boats. We don't share any of that in common. What we do share in common is we both like to eat up quick and get the fuck home. <laughs> so when he would come to my home, dinner, uh, the hors d'oeuvres would be served at 6 o'clock. 6.30, we're at the table eating. 7.30 and 8. By 7.30, quarter to 8, everyone's hugging and saying goodnight. That's it. He's Night still over. chewing food when Howard's pushing him out the no door. No, 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 no. You're wrong, Robin. I'm going to tell you. He's like, Howard, I, you know, he, more or less, he's like, I don't particularly like you, but I like your eating style. That's, I, I want to. <laughs> I know I can come here for a quick meal. Yeah, he goes, you you don't want me here and I don't want to be here. And it's just, it's fabulous. It's like really quick. And uh, I'm the same way. I don't like when, pe when people invite me to their home and they drag out the meal like Baba Buhai. I just cannot stand it. I just want to eat and eat up and get out and say, you know, and have a good conversation over dinner and leave. I get ants in my Baba pants. Bowie. You know. I'll break bread with anyone at 4 p.m. if they want to. I, I even said to Billy, if you want to start the evening at 5.30, A little which is when I'm really... would be fine with me, yes. Yeah, and, and like, let's skip hors d'oeuvres and let's get right to the meal. And uh, he's not opposed to it. If we didn't have wives, we would be eating at 4 o'clock. You know, we're both old dudes. Let's be honest. Let's not kid anybody. There's but something your wives weird. would like to eat later. I don't know. My wife's pretty much in step with me. You should see her. Yesterday, she goes, it was 4 o'clock. She goes, I'm hungry. I go, me too. I would, let's eat dinner at 4 o'clock. Why do there have to be rules? It's just the two of us here with a Why bunch of cats. Why do there have to be rules? That is a rule. <laughs> I'm a rule breaker. I didn't get to where I am not breaking the rules. Let's eat at 4 o'clock. She goes, no, we should you really wait. You are more rule-oriented than anybody I know. You just make up your own. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine the nerve of my psychiatrist told me I was rigid. 
But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, um, I eat dinner at five thirty every night, and I'm like chomping at the Can bit. Can you wait until five thirty? Oh, you know what I do sometimes? I just go online and play some chess to make myself calm down and like lose my, you know, lose my thoughts <laughs> because I'm so I want my yeah, dinner stop so thinking bad. Thinking about your stomach growling. <laughs> yeah, I get I get crazy. I'm like I just got to eat my dinner. Want to eat dinner and I want to get in bed. I was so happy last night. I got into bed. I remembered to watch um, that show on HBO Max. Fucking, oh, Titans. Uh, Titans. I've loved that, man. With the new uh, Batman and Robin characters. There's two I've only Robins. I've a couple of episodes, and I don't know what's going on. It's good. Someone, Something upset me. Somebody stole somebody's superpowers. I hate that. I hate when people's superpowers get stolen. It's the, the, To me, like, I hate that in Superman. So every once in a while, Superman. Remember the Superman movie where he Superman lost his loses powers? His powers he, yeah, uh, and I was just like, turns evil, all kinds of things. Yeah, it's he was stupid. He gave up his powers for Lois Lane. You fucking yeah. dummy. The only reason she's with you is because you're Superman, you asshole. She hated you when you lost your powers. He got beaten up in a diner. Remember that? I know that was Fucking the worst. Superman. It was just like I married the strongest man in the world who can fly, and mm. now we're we're afraid to go to a diner. <laughs> right, like he goes to a diner and gets beaten up by some you know hillbilly who's out of shape. Uh, Superman's nothing without his powers. It's just a joke. It's so upsetting. You can't have was, powers like that and then give them up and think everything's going to be okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Trust me. Before I had my radio show, I had no superpowers. Nobody was <laughs> looking for get, me. Look, you're still here. You won't give this up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm afraid to leave. I'll be invisible, crying out loud. Yeah, Steve, what's up? What do you got on your mind in New Jersey? Hey, Howard. Uh, good morning. I wanted to ask you, you're talking about not wanting to hang out a long time at dinner. Do you think someone has to do with the fact that you just can't drink alcohol anymore? Because, I mean, I love people, but whenever they come over the first half hour, it's always awkward until you sit down and you have a little cocktail. And then it kind of makes the conversation easier and it's easier just to chill out. Yeah, I know what you mean. But even when I was drinking, you know, and have a social drink, but I, I just I just like to get dinner. You know, I just. I enjoy having a dinner party, but like like an hour and a half is enough. Leave people wanting more. It's enough. An hour, hour and a half, and then goodbye. Everyone's, there are people who come to your house. They won't leave. They fucking won't go. It's unbelievable. They might be enjoying people, Howard. Yeah, they're enjoying. So, okay, you'll come again. Not everything has to be accomplished in one day. We don't need to hear your life story in one fucking meal. Sit there, but, shut but up, eat your meal. Have something interesting. Yeah, but sometimes you find out something interesting you didn't expect from somebody, and it comes when you're just kind of chilling and, you know, it's after dinner, mm, uh, right. you have a little dessert, you, you know, you don't think so. No, no, not He never all. found out anything interesting because he was no. too busy thinking about getting them out of the house. <laughs> right. Do I don't remember ever hearing anything that interesting where I wanted them to hang around that long. I mean, you know. Uh, I used to what do, do this move. What do you Kimmel do when, you have, when he hangs out of your house? Jimmy I mean, knows. Just each other Jimmy, to... Jimmy knows. You know what? All of a sudden, everyone goes, "Hey, Howard's not here anymore," and I'm in bed sleeping. I don't make an announcement. I just leave, and Jimmy doesn't yeah, care. Yeah, he so disappears, Jim... and yeah. he loves you know, to disappear. He doesn't even want to say goodbye to you. He no. likes to disappear. And why do I do that? Because I'm thinking of others. It's like I'm like, you know what? They're having a good time. I don't want them to think they have to leave. 
And then, like, I'll, you know, you know I, my wife will stay up with Jimmy and Molly and hang out with them all night. And I go, what did you guys do? And they're like, oh, you know, we just talked. I'm like, oh, well, we're gonna, I'm going to do that tomorrow when they wake up. But what is it that you don't want to be seen leaving? Because I feel it's insulting to my guests. In other words, they're having a good time. Not your guests. Like, let's say you're at another event because you do this everywhere. Do I? I don't. I, well, oh, I, I remember one time. I remember one time I got in trouble doing that. <laughs> Mary McCormick was in a play. And, you know, I'm a big Mary supporter. She played my wife in the movie Private yeah. Parts. So she was in a Broadway show and she invited us to come. And uh, it was a really good show. It was Mary McCormick, Gina Gershon, and someone else. And they played uh, flight attendants. But I had to do a radio show the next day. So in, at, the, uh, when, at the intermission, I left. And she was very insulted. I said, listen, Mary, I, gotta, I, I can't stay up all night and watch you act and pretend to be a stewardess. I got, I got my own responsibilities. I got to be on the radio for four hours, and I get up at four o'clock in the morning. But she was angry with me because it's rude. Yeah. But, uh, but what do I do? One time I made it a game. I said, I'm not letting Howard get out of here without saying goodbye to me. And hmm. so I saw him and Beth getting ready to leave. <laughs> and I said, are you guys leaving? Oh, no, 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 no. And then oh. they stood there for a while longer. And I turned around for a second. And, and when gone. I turned back around, you were gone. <laughs> you know who I'm like? I'm like uh, Bruce Wayne. You ever see him slip out? But, but instead of fighting crime, I just uh, go right to bed. <laughs> No, I really do uh, feel Rob, that. Next, I, next time you got to tie him down, Robin. <laughs> I know, no, but you know, a string on him so he can't get out. I don't want people exactly. to leave a party or something like that because I'm going. I, I just so I don't say goodbye and break up the mood of the party. Just leave. You don't make a big deal about it. I actually wanted to leave with you that night. I didn't oh, want to stay oh. any longer. Well, and listen. I didn't say that, but I said, let me see if he can get out of here now that I'm watching him. Well, <laughs> he did it anyway. <laughs> you should have been honest with me. You should have said, listen, get me out of here. Then, then I'm a man with a mission. <laughs> Then I can go to my wife and say, listen, Robin needs to get out of here. We got to go. <laughs> the problem but, uh, is you always think people don't enjoy you, and they do enjoy you. And then they want you to stay, and all you want to do is get out of there. Yeah, the I mean, no, enjoy they enjoy, they enjoy me too much. They enjoy me too much. I can't, they drain me of my energy. I mean, uh, I can't be the life of the party everywhere I go. No, it's fine. I, I just listen. I, I, I just like being on my own. It's, uh, you know, if you want, if you want, hey, you want my company? Turn on Sirius. I'm on here all day. That's what I tell people. But after I leave, just put on those satellites. You can always get some of me. Yeah, yeah. Just put it on. I'm on 24 hours a day. That's it. You're with me. Goodbye. I got to go. Thank you for the call. Hey, listen to this. Um, remember this guy? Jay Black of Jane the Americans. I know you remember him. Of course, yeah. Yeah, he died. Just died two days ago. Got no press. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. How did he slip you know? away and nobody noticed? Yeah, he's like me. That's good me. One day I just won't be here. Uh, Jay of Jay and the what Americans, happened? this guy. I remember this guy. You know, for me, I don't know how many people remember Jay of Jay and the Americans, but like in the 60s, he had a pretty big thing going, you know? Yeah. me oh my. Had a big voice. Yeah. But it's funny, I always think of Jay of Jay and the Americans as uh, like a teenager type. But he died. He was like 82 years old. I don't have his obit wow. in front of me. But here's some of his hits. This magic moment. 
Then he had uh, this one. This was a big hit for him. Come a little bit closer. Not my thing, but, you know, Katamia. It was a little Kata... before um, mar- uh, music really got good. <laughs> Wasn't it? W- but, but this was about the time of the Beatles, right? I mean. Yeah, he probably like... was right there. But, you know, this was like that old school music fading out yeah. when the Beatles started making uh, inroads and then all the other people came over. And then people like this sort of disappeared from the from the radio. I like I like this song, Kata Mia Mai, because I thought it was about the Adams family, because um, Gomez used to always call uh, her Kata Mia. Ah, oh, Kata Mia. <laughs> Gomez would call his wife Kata Mia. It was uh, Gomez Pugsley Wednesday. Wednesday. What was Mrs. Adams' name? Hort, uh, Morticia. 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 Yeah. Kata Mia. Kata Mia. <laughs> and then, or she said, Katami, and he goes, I love when you speak French. <laughs> no, I think he said it. Uh, she said, Katami. Yeah. She would speak French and it made him fucking crazy. Oh my God. Beth got me crazy. I, I made love last night. You should have seen me. We, we, we ate dinner. You made love. I'm, you didn't have sex. <laughs> no, we made love. No, we, um, it was funny. I, I was sitting there, uh, after dinner. I was fucking dog tired. I want to go upstairs and listen to Billy Joel music because, you know, he's coming on today. And and I'm sitting there talking to Beth. And she goes, you know, I almost sent you a sexy picture today, but I hate the way I look. I didn't like the picture. I go, really? You don't look good in the sexy You were going to send me a sexy picture? I got so fucking excited. What do you mean a sexy picture? <clears throat> I guess she was standing there upstairs in her bra and panties while I was doing the show or something. And she, you know, I don't get a, I don't get a lot of that kind of sexy picture stuff. So uh, I said, "Let me see the picture you almost sent me." She said, oh, "No, it's not a good picture." I said, "Let me see." Well, she's standing there in her bra and panties, looking like a goddess. <laughs> I'm like, "Look at you! This is some picture." She goes, "I hate it." I go, "You couldn't hate it that much if you're showing it to me." She goes, "I didn't think it was very good." I go, "What do you see in this picture that I don't see?" I'm all boned up already just looking at the picture, and I'm sitting right next to you. She goes, get out of here. Hey, go, boner. No, here, feel, feel this thing. It's fucking boned up. <laughs> hey, so boner. She took, a, like a, she took a smack at it, and she said, oh, my goodness. I said, get upstairs right now. You're getting it. And she was like, well, I have to do cat rounds. I go, no, 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 no. Right now, let's go from the picture. Don't show me that picture. Because it makes me feel stupid to waste. If you look like that good, somebody should be banging you. And that somebody <laughs> should be me. Yeah. I mean, if I sent her a picture of me in my underwear, forget about it. They're, they're, you know. So she I got go her upstairs. take care of the cats. <laughs> I, got, I got her upstairs. I made the lighting just right, which was basically in the, the dark. So she couldn't see me. And, uh, man, we had a good time. I did it. I was right on. I was right on top of things. <laughs> Doing my best. Well, that's great. Yeah, I did it last like night. That. Yeah. Look at me being all that spontaneous. I was like, man, <laughs> I feel like a young man right now. Wait, I'm just going at. It. I felt like Ronnie. 
Oh, God. Don't ever feel like Ronnie. <laughs> yeah. Where's my cock ring? Sixty <laughs> nine. Uh, How does he not have a heart attack yelling and laughing like that? I don't know. Anyway, I don't uh, know. Ready to get this I shit don't started? Know. Only in America. That's Jay and Jay in the America. I don't know this song. I think this is one of their first. Because it was Jay and the Americans, and they were singing only in America. Why? Here's a weird bit of trivia I could give you that uh, uh, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, better known as Steely Dan, used to be in Jay's band before they got famous as Steely Dan. Yeah. Wow. There you go. And I'll give you another fact. Jay Black of Jay and the Americans was the second Jay to front the Americans. There was a guy named. Nope. There was a guy named Jay Trainer. A guy named Jay. His original. Yeah. Um, It's a crazy story. I. Anyway, I'm not going to go all into it, but anyway, well, Jay wasn't and, he? What? Go ahead. You go. Ahead, uh, uh, Jay from Jay and the Americans is dead. That's the story. That's what well. I, I know. You know, the thing I remember most about him that seemed really odd to me was that he married Donna Summer at one point, right? Uh, he did. Yeah, I don't they know. They were that. married for a little while. Jay Black. Like, he married Jay Black of the Americans. His original name was David Blatt, and uh, he changed his name. Mike Douglas, remember from TV? Mike Douglas yeah. introduced him as uh, as Black. He just got it. He said his, he just got it wrong. Got it wrong, and, and it, you know it's funny when people mispronounce my name. I don't go, hmm, "I'll just change my name." Why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Robin, I go. don't think he was married to Donna Summer. No. I, why do I think that's a true thing? Robin making up shit. Marsha Garbowitz, <laughs> no, I... Kathy Izzo, and Andy Francis, and they all yeah. ended in divorce. I like Robin's story better. Uh, the, the tree, yeah, he was he married, to, been Donna married to Donna Summer. <laughs> Where did you get that from? Donna Summer. I don't, that's like stuck in my head. Like it's a real thing. You know what Robin told me last night? Kurt Cobain is alive. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Try to sell me that. <laughs> Who's fucking with me? Because it always yeah. odd. To, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Get off Here's the internet. Donna Summer and Jay Black. Wait a minute. <laughs> you gonna you gonna prove your theory? More with Jay Black and Donna Summer. They were together for a while. Maybe they didn't get married. Ah, okay. So there's some truth in what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't you tell me Elvis was married to Yoko Ono and I believed you? I thought she was married. He was married to Yoko Ono before John. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so uh, there's a couple of things I want to tell you. Number one. uh, Well, here we go. Halloween's coming up. I do have a Halloween shtick if you want it. Oh, yeah? Uh, Yeah. Halloween uh, celebrity audio books. I like this. (laughs) 
By the way, I just want to say uh, uh, kudos to all my guys who work on the show. These things are really hard to put together. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's ridiculous the amount of hours when we take celebrity audiobooks and cut them up to make sentences out of them. Right. It's incredibly difficult. Uh, it's insane. And I just want to say, I hope the, the, it's worth the amount of hours because sometimes these things just take a long time. Uh, so first up is Oprah audiobook talking about Halloween. You got to really concentrate on these because we put in way too much work on them. And, uh, you should see the, we got a computers going with these audio books. You know, it's hard to get a, a celebrity to say Baba Buhai or something like that, but we do it. <laughs> it's a lot of, it's a, it's special effects. It's crazy. So anyway, here we go. We asked some of the world's most famous celebrities and politicians about their plans for Halloween. Here's Oprah audiobook talking okay. about her Halloween. <laughs> Hello, Howard and Robin. I've already bought 500 bags of candy, and that's just for me. I hate to tell you this, but the shit I'm going to take after Halloween. Mercy. I guarantee it will be huge and filled with candy corn. And Altman Joys. Stedman has a plan to move all of the shit in my backyard in Santa Barbara to a semi-chuck with a power jack. And then the duty will be donated as fertilizer to an organic farm to help feed the poor children of Costa Rica. My massive <laughs> mountains of shit is gonna enrich and sustain the land for years. I mean, how amazing is it that even my shit does wonderful things for the world? I marvel at the wonder of it. Happy Halloween. He's so unbelievable. Wow. So to recap, first of all, Oprah's already thinking about the big shit she's going to take on Halloween. That's number one. Uh, and I should tell you, three writers and um, three writers and three producers worked on this. So that's now, how do they work? Six. Do they write it first and then try to make the words? It's crazy. No, I, it, they listen to things and they think, oh, this could sound like that. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's more complicated than when Billy Joel writes an album. That's right. It's harder than getting into space. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Oprah is going to buy like 500 bags of candy for herself on Halloween and eat them. And then take enormous shits, save the shits uh, for fertilizer in Costa Rica to feed people because she's a good yeah, person. Yeah, she's going to take care of the children, even her shit, to yeah. take care of people. <laughs> and Stedman's going to move all the shit in, the, in her backyard in Santa Barbara uh, with a semi-truck and a power jack. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's pretty good. All right. Quite a story. I got a Bill O'Reilly audiobook. You want to hear from him? Remember Bill O'Reilly used to have a big popular uh, cable news show until he got into some, some problems with some of the female staffers. You know, it's hard to keep your hands off those hot chicks. We can't leave him chicks. dead, I mean, out of the public eye. <laughs> Here's Bill O'Reilly talking about his Halloween plans. This Halloween, instead of candy, I'll be handing out a bunch of crap from BillOReilly.com. No candy treats. But you can get the stand-up for freedom door mats. Forget about Reese's Pieces. How about the no-spin zone keychain? 
And I'll tell you right now, your parent has to pay for them. And if your kids dislike it, come on, fuck them. I am an angry old man, and I don't really give a shit. <laughs> so just to recap, Bill O'Reilly says, fuck candy. He's you just get all his shit that he sells on BillOReilly.com for the kids. And that's what he's going to give out. It's pretty cool, right? So far, we've learned that Oprah just shits in her backyard. She doesn't even use plumbing. And... uh and Bill O'Reilly's that guy who's like, remember, like, there's always one guy in the neighborhood who hands out, like, toothbrushes on Halloween. So the kids right, something good teeth. for you, like a little book yeah. with a saying in it or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. He gives out Bill O'Reilly doormats. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you write a book, Robin. You've written a book. Imagine working hard on a book and talking about your most painful moments of your life. And then Richard recuts it to talk about you shitting or something. You know, it's... <laughs> Got to be debilitated. Oh, it's been done. <laughs> <laughs> you think? Uh, Obama audiobook has a uh, uh, President Obama. He has some costume ideas for Halloween. Do you want to hear from really? uh, President Obama? Yeah. Here we go. This is President Obama. Barack Obama. Hey, now, Howard and Robin. This Halloween, I'm going to go as Vice President Kamala Harris. I tried <laughs> on the wig and outfit, and I looked sexy as hell. I decided to try to fuck her husband, Doug. Right before he comes, I will yank off my wig, smile, and say, Boo, I got you, Doug. It's gonna be off the chain, right? Happy Halloween to everyone. Now, that wow. one's a little rough, but you yeah, get the Yeah, what gist. does he do? He's gonna dress up as Kamala Harris, and then, uh, you know, with the wig and everything, and he looks pretty sexy, and then he's gonna fuck Kamala Harris's husband, the first, the first <laughs> husband. And then he's going to whip off his wig after he fucks him and go, boo, scare him. It's a Halloween prank. Yeah. By the way, that clip only took three days. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm watching your face and you're like not even laughing. And I go, hmm, three wasted days. (laughs) (laughs) I was just trying to understand it because it was so clippy i wasn't sure yeah some of them are a little clippy some people are harder than others now okay yeah. here's a good one this is uh everyone hates senate minority leader mitch mcconnell i don't know anyone who likes him uh, <laughs> even but, him <laughs> yeah but this is senator uh senate minority leader mitch mcconnell's audiobook revealing his costume plans for halloween here he is all right mitch mcconnell this halloween i plan to dress as a slutty bernie sanders I'll be wearing a G-string with my sweaty, sticky testicles hanging out on both sides. That'll be so fucking funny. I've been practicing blowing myself as a party trick. Oh, man, this is going to be a huge hit at the congressional Halloween parties. At my age, I have pretty good-sized boobs. They will look good and be perfect for my outfit. Slutty Bernie Sanders is ready to go fucking crazy for Halloween in America. So let's party. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Come on. He's got pretty good. I like that one. I was like, Slutty Bernie Sanders. I would never think of that. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, At my age, I got pretty big tits. So it's going to work perfectly with my costume. And his balls will be hanging out on either side of his thong. (laughs) And he's practicing blowing himself for the Halloween congressional party. It's going to be some party. <laughs> Slutty Bernie Sanders. <laughs> All right, I got one more. You want it? Go ahead. Who is it? Mitt Romney. 
uh, this is Senator uh, Mitt Romney audiobook, and this is uh, him talking about what his family is going to be doing on Halloween. He's divulging okay. his plans, Mitt Romney. I have to admit that every night is Halloween in the Romney family because my wife Ann and I dress like ghosts when we fuck. Intercourse through oh. a sheet is a custom in my Mormon faith and a long tradition in my family. They are called temple garments or some shit like that. This year, for some fun, we may walk around the neighborhood in our ghost outfits with my dick hanging out of the hole in the sheet and Ann's pussy flapping in the wind. What a treat for everyone. Have a happy Halloween and Baba Booty to you all. Wow. Yeah. They got a so, Baba Booty out of him. He's He's got a ghost costume for himself and his wife. The wife uh, has a whole cutout where you can see her pussy and uh, you can see his cock. Right. Uh, but they're used uh, to that because that's the way they have sex anyway. <laughs> right. Through a sheet because they're Mormons. <laughs> I tell you. I didn't think they were much fun, but right now I wish I was their neighbor so I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, huh? That anyway. Good. Yeah. Took a long time to get that together for you. Oprah's the best, though. She just goes on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. I could play that later in the show again for you when she shits in her backyard. Stedman moves uh, her bowels with, but moves her bowel movements to Costa Rica by truck. <laughs> <laughs> Russell, you're on the air in New York. Hey, Howard, how are you? Hey, now. Hey, now. Hey, now. So about about 25 years ago, I was at South Beach, um, and everyone was going crazy down at the beach. We were on the beach. People were running, and then I saw people paparazzi taking pictures behind umbrellas, and everyone was talking about that Lindsay Lohan was hanging out down there. Everyone was going nuts. And then I decided to walk up back to the hotel. And as I'm walking back, Billy Joel's just standing right there. He's just about to light a cigar. And I say, everyone's going nuts down there because Lindsay Lohan is down there. And here's the man right here. And he looks over my shoulder, touches my shoulder and goes, where's Lindsay Lohan? <laughs> he wanted to take a look. <laughs> he wanted to go running down too. <laughs> he was, yeah, he's a Yenta. He was totally psyched about Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. There's another Billy right. Joel sighting, and we're going to have a sighting of him later on right, this morning it. right here on this show. All right. Later. Great. Can't wait to hear the interview. Have a good night. Have a good day. Right. You too. There you go. Everyone excited. Uh, yeah, Billy's putting out, uh, you know what he's promoting, actually? He's putting out a, um, well, he's going back to doing his monthly residency at the uh, Madison Square Garden. Right, I heard 5th. that, yeah. Yeah, and then he's got a vinyl collection. Billy Joel, the vinyl collection. Volume 1 will be available next Friday. And I think it's like seven discs of like Billy uh -oh. Joel music. And yeah. Gary you know, will be Fuhai. on that. Yeah. You know, he's thinned his Baba collection. Baba but Baba he's going to have to make some room for that. Baba I will Bowie. get that. I will 100% get that. That's his first yeah. seven records. Those are classics. Yeah. I think they're, you know, I, they always, uh, I'll ask them, but I think they're like remastered or so. I don't know what the fuck they are, but I know vinyl people are very, Gary's very excited. Yes. He's clearing his throat like crazy because he's excited. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bowie, Bowie Joel right there, what you're listening to. All right, so Jay Black is dead. That was something I wanted to tell you. Did you see this uh, guy? I, I saw this on Daily Mail because I get all my news from there. But there was a Marine. 
I might ask this guy to come on the show. This dude is hanging out. It's an unbelievable video. You got to watch it online. This uh, this guy, he's uh, you know, he didn't even look like a tough guy or anything, but he's just standing there. It, it's surveil. It's the um, it's the uh, he's like at a Seven Eleven or some one of those kind of convenience stores. Okay. And he's so this video of it because they have cameras in those stores. Some dude comes in with a gun, ready to rob the place. This marine, he turns around, he sees the guy. He grabs his arm, grabs the gun out, and fucking knocks this douchebag out, and the kid goes running out of the store. And I was like, man, what? This is a real man. You should, this guy, his instincts kicked in. He just didn't even think about it. You know, you see a dude with a gun, and uh, evidently, when I was reading the article, they said the, the kid did pull the trigger, but the thing had a misfire. It didn't wow. uh, go. because. You know, because sometimes when you're you're in a a fight, you're not holding the gun the right way, so you know you don't you don't get a good trigger pull. But you know, this marine could have been killed. But what I mean, I think That's I might want to. I might want to talk to this guy. His name is uh, James Kilser. Talk about a hero! I was watching this and I could not believe there is some people who are just built to fucking kick ass. Well, they're heroes. They're not just built to kick ass because you could be built to kick ass and not bother to get involved in that. Yeah, he right. decided because that wasn't his job. That wasn't his deal. He decided that he was going to protect everybody. You're right. Like the rock, he could probably kick ass, but he ain't going to take a guy down. I've with a never gun. heard of go... him saving a soul. Exactly. With all those muscles. Right. Standing there, shaving his <laughs> chest. You know what I mean? And his legs. That's right. This Marine, the Miz is you can tell this. dancing with the stars. He's not saving people. Put James Kilser on Dancing with the Stars. Anyway, <laughs> I just love this guy. I wish I wish he could teach me the art of being a man. <laughs> the ex-Marine saw somebody walk in the door with a gun in his hand and acted immediately. Um, he says his life was saved because the suspect, who turned out to be a 14-year-old boy, was unable to Ugh. fire the loaded gun because it was jammed. Yeah, it jammed on the kid. Thank God. But, man, I mean, I'm watching the video of this. You could see it. It's a, it's a surveillance video out of a convenience store. I don't recommend this for, you know, just anybody because uh, th th that's pretty dangerous. When someone's got a loaded weapon, you know, you don't want to fuck around. But... Holy Mac. That's the guy... normal reaction. Don't fuck around with a loaded yeah. weapon. This and by is, the way, uh, this is above and beyond. Yeah. John Wick wouldn't have even fucking stepped in. I'm telling you. John Wick would have been like, oh shit. You know, this is, this is a little tricky. Oh, I'm right in front of him. I'm not yeah. going to get involved. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. And you know, it's just one of these dumb convenience store robberies. Like, you know, but this guy's yeah, 20 you could just bucks or something. You could just tell his hero instinct. You know, some guys have it. They, he just kicked in and he said, fuck you. He didn't take shit from this guy. And I'm like, oh, if I could only be a man like that. Oh, I want to be Well, the moment so you start thinking, you. you're not doing anything. That's right. He didn't think. <laughs> you got to see this. He doesn't even think about it. He sees danger. And instead of running, he just tackles the guy. Yeah. And he does if it effortlessly. Thinking, should I get involved or shouldn't I? What do I do now? You're not going to do anything. I don't even want to say this, but I'm thinking this is your next husband. I mean, your first husband, but your next boyfriend. You know what I mean? I would like to see you reward this guy with some of that. Hey, nanner, nanner. 
You know, Robin and I were in a convenience store one time, and a guy walked in with a gun. And Robin was amazed because I threw my wallet at him. And um, <laughs> she goes, why don't you wait? Brave move. <laughs> yeah, she goes, why don't you wait till he asks? I go, eh, it's all right. <laughs> he just gave it right up. And you I do started see crying. that. I love those scenes in the movies where they say, yeah. here, take my watch. Take you know, yeah. They start emptying their <laughs> I volunteered. Uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, I'm crying over here. Please take my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm on Instagram sometimes and uh I was looking at it last night and this uh th- there's this thing that goes on on there where skinny girls like girls with you know big tits and flat stomachs and gorgeous you know gorgeous perfect bodies they love to show yeah. you what they eat they love to show you fattening meals it's either pizza lasagna and stuff like that like really like they love to show you like Oh my God, I'm eating this gooey, cheesy lasagna right now. And you know they're not eating that. But for some reason, they want the world to think they eat whatever they want. Yeah, well, that's the new thing. It's like you're supposed to look like that and eat too. Yeah. So they're pretending. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have an eating disorder. I, you know, I'm eating gooey pizza and lasagna. No, you're right. Not. Show me yeah. what you do after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And the finger goes up or something's going on if you're eating that. Let me follow you around all day. Yeah. Eugene, you're on the air in Kentucky. Hi, artist. There's a Eugene calling you apart. I done seen that video you talking about. That, that fellow standing there and that boy come in there with the gun. He look at him for just like a second. And he go and grab in that pistol and just point it straight up at the ceiling. You know, he just, that, that fella got some nuts on him. I'll tell you after. Yeah. How you doing, Eugene? It's good to I hear from you. We haven't heard from you in a long time. Eugene's right. Well, well, Eugene, Eugene's a real man. I've talked to Eugene before. Yeah. I forget ex- well, I forget what Eugene well. did, but to, for me to classify him as a real man, but he does like a lot of real manly shit. Right, Eugene? Well, farming and stuff. And uh, since that coat rack and you had to throw it away and stuff like that to her, but uh, yeah, that, yeah, that boy's got some nuts on him down there, but uh, we've been in the bunker. Uh, for about uh, 17 months, so I just haven't been out much to call you. Ah. You know? Yeah, with the COVID, you mean? Yeah, I ain't taking no chances on that. That's just too too dangerous. To, you know, people dying left and right. So we, we just going to all stay together in the bunker. Yeah, I hear you. Me too. I'm like, uh, yeah. I'm still real paranoid about it. But uh, yeah, Eugene's talking about that video. It's really remarkable. Mm-hmm. Did you see, too, there's like a second guy who walks in with a mask? I mean, it's like two right. guys. And that well, he runs guy. away start. <laughs> he the, sure the, did. The, the gunman's partner just, just ran all there quicker than his shit. But, you know, that, that fella didn't even, like you say, he didn't even think about it. He just reacted. And he just, he, I'd love to hear you talk to him, see, see what his training's like. Yeah. What was so cool about it was, like, Here's this Marine guy just standing there minding his own business. He's not, he's not armed. He doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have anything. And he just sees these two clowns walking in in masks and they got the gun. And he just like, yeah. like within yeah. seconds, they go running out the door. They, they, they're completely yeah. afraid of him. And well, I'm like, that's what the whole a- thing. Usually the guy behind the gun is not a hero and he's not a, a brave guy. He's a bully. Yeah, that's what Robin's always telling me. Like Robin and I, one time, were in a store that got robbed, and I she she was embarrassed because I hid behind her. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, you, you don't know. know how you gonna react till you get no, in that don't. situation. 
That's right. I mean, that was my natural instinct. Uh, Robin was standing there, and I, I took cover. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I said, Robin, thank you. Pretty woman to take cover behind. I'll tell you that. Sorry. You're damn right. Oh, I figured you, her beauty Eugene. would calm these guys down, and uh, and I was right. I was safe. Yeah, uh, they were totally distracted go. by her. Yeah, yeah. No, you know what it was. I needed time. I needed. T- I told. I told Robin. I needed time to think in order to uh, <laughs> apprehend these gentlemen, and uh, that was. Yeah. yeah. All right, Eugene. Later, man. All right, boy. Talk to y'all later. Right. Bye. That's Eugene in hiding from COVID. Uh, in the bunker. Oh, hey, if you go to Stern Show on Twitter, we retweeted the Marine video. Make it easy for you. Okay. So go on uh, at Stern Show. That's our handle, at Stern Show. And uh, you can see the Marine video. It's pretty cool. That's a real man. Would you Unlike- be as excited if someone was able to talk the guy out of robbing the store? Fuck no. This guy, he didn't, uh, there's no talking to these guys. No, there is no talking to these guys, but I'm just wondering, would that be as impressive to you? No. No, because I remember, you know, I lived in a pretty tough neighborhood and had a lot of fights, and I remember trying to talk people out of beating me up. <laughs> and I'm a pretty good talker, and it didn't work. They just got more and more angry. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching, uh, yeah, so I was watching TV last night. I was so excited to be laying in bed and, uh, crazy rain here in New York yesterday. We have these screens and the, the, the screens almost blew in. It was, the wind was wild. It was Why? like a, it, Beth told me that it was, was a nor'easter. Strong? Yeah. Yeah, it was a nor'easter I had out here. And uh, it sort of passed us by. We were expecting something and, uh, you know, it rained a bit, but that was it. Oh, this was bad. So, you know, I love on a rainy day, you know, just get in bed. You know, it was night already, and I was getting ready for bed, and I'd watched a bunch of Billy Joel videos, and I just said, I'm getting in bed and watch Titans, superhero. Anytime I'm so excited when it's superheroes, you know. Although these Titans, they talk a little too much. I'd like to see them doing a little yeah, more Yeah, no action, all talk. That's what I'm saying. I was like, what are they talking about? <laughs> they have a bunch of guys there. Some have really cool superpowers in Titans, and some of them have bullshit superpowers. First of all, there's some dude in the Titans. He's half Superman, half Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor. Did you know right. this? Yeah, yeah Lex yeah, yeah. Luthor. That, that super boy kind of guy is half and half. Yeah. Yeah, which I never heard of. I think they invented no, no, some new was, things. Oh, you mean you didn't catch that in the previous series? I didn't catch that in previous comic books. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I didn't know that Lex Luthor figured out a way and, to take superman's dna and combine it with his and create half lex luther and half superman which yeah, turns out a baby <laughs> turns out yeah it turns out lex luther and superman had a baby <laughs> and uh it turns out it's better to be half lex luther because this guy's not only got all of superman's powers he's able to like solve scientific you know problems rapidly yeah. i mean so that's something that hardly has ever talked about that superman is not that bright no, he's, he's, he's sort of average. Strong. He's just strong. You take away that superpower, he's not on anything. He's probably just, That's you know, right. guys work, probably working at McDonald's and not even the manager. <laughs> so, uh. He's the fry guy. Yeah. More fries, sir. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But there's a couple of, there's one dude on there. I never heard of him either. He's got, um, he's got the ability to morph into a tiger. 
he can he can change his body into a tiger body, and it doesn't seem to do him any good. Every time That's there's a fucking... That's what I was going to ask you. I said, what do you think of that guy's superpower? It's, it's not great, because first of all, he wakes up naked like the Hulk, except he always wakes up naked because someone shot him with a, a, a tranquilizer dart, and he's fucking... <laughs> he, and I'm like, what good is his superpower? Like, by the time he turns into a tiger, which takes him a while... He misses half the action. Then he gets in the action. And then, like last night, he got shot with a tranquilizer dart, and the guy's down. <laughs> so, but then there's some girl who's got some interesting powers. She's got like this piece of jewelry in the middle of her head, and she seems to be able to do anything. She can bring people back from the dead. She can cast spells. And she's the daughter of Satan, but she's a good guy. And then there's another, and then there's Wonder Woman who appears to be able to do whatever the fuck she wants. She can, they invent superpowers for her. She just, everything she figures out. And that's the new thing in comics now, too. I noticed the women are more powerful than the men because they're trying to make things better. Smarter, for more you know. powerful, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. The men are a bunch of morons. <laughs> and, you know, Robin from Batman and Robin, he seems to be running the whole show. And you're, you're wondering why he has no powers. He's human. And his power is he, like, he can fight pretty well. But when a fight goes down, the dude doesn't have any superpowers. Yeah, you know he better it, have you know, those those taser sticks of his. Yeah, and his thing his thing is he was trained at the circus, and it's like, well, you know, when's the last time you saw a circus person being a hero? He's gonna somersault right over you. <laughs> yeah, and then there's some woman from another planet who got her powers stolen, which is ridiculous. I hate that. She had these unbelievable powers. She could turn her eyes green and shoot bolts out of her hands and fire. And she was just like invincible. And three seconds later, she's helping her sister out. And her sister steals her powers. You know, it's just bullshit. I, I Sometimes I call bullshit on some of these powers. But the worst comic book I ever read was when I was a kid. It was so fucking bad. I'm probably the only guy who read this comic book. And I read them. I bought them. I paid them good money. For these comic books, it was a bouncing boy, and this motherfucker was I a mess. I remember that. You remember Bouncing Boy? Yeah, that was really yeah. dumb. I <laughs> know. Uh, I I was uh, I used to read Bouncing Boy. Bouncing Boy was like a guy who had nothing happening. He was just like a douchebag, and uh, his power was he blew up into the size of like a ball, like a beach ball. Yeah. He was perfectly round like a beach ball. and Even his head would flatten out. And once he was a beach ball, he could bounce. And that was it. That was it. You know, like... I forget. What was the... I, I know I read his origin story. He was just like a regular... That. He was a regular guy. Hey, who sent me uh, his uh, Bouncing Boy's origin story? Or did I just look that up on the internet? I looked it up on the internet. I thought I printed it out. Anybody know what I'm talking about, or am I just imagining that? Jason, didn't I print out Bouncing Boy's origin story? No, you didn't send me any, but I, but I do know oh. it. Um, he drank yeah. something. He was like in a lab. That's he it. bought something right. was soda, and then he, yeah. he drank it, but it wasn't soda, and it gave him his superpowers, I believe. Yeah. You know, how many times have you, you know, I, I, I probably, I, I drink a lot of stuff. Right. This kid, just he thinks he's drinking soda because he's a, he's a fucking pudgy douchebag. Yeah. And kind of annoying. And then he drinks it, and then all of a sudden he can blow up into a basketball tie or a beach ball and bounce. And, and that was his comic books. Everything lasts forever. That one drink. No. 
His oh, yeah. power went away. That am I oh, right, Jason? One hundred percent. He's one of these guys that lost his powers. I think three or four times throughout like the last eighty years or something. Yeah. And he's how did he get his powers, powers back? He gets his. He loses his power. I forget how he lost. He just kind of ran out of steam with his drink. And he then did he got something. Yeah. Uh, I think he got some sort of because he was he was in like the Justice League International or Justice mm-hmm. Society. Right. He's in one of those. And then he lost. And by his the way, and he kicked he was, him right out. <laughs> yeah, he was such a loser. Right. Like they hated him. He was in the Justice League of America. You're talking heavyweights, right. Flash, Superman, Aquaman, Batman, all of them were in Justice League. And this fucking guy shows up. I remember the comic. He shows up to the Justice League and he's like, hey, I want in. I got superpowers. I go, what do you do? And he goes, I bounce like a ball. And they're like, get the fuck out of here. So he was almost like, he was like, um, it, it was like JD. You know how JD hung around for free for a while and then we gave him a job? <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know. But th- it's so funny, though. He's, he's, like, he's like Benji. Benji hung around for years as an intern, and then all of a sudden we said, hey, give this guy a job. You know what I'm saying? But I feel like usually in the Justice League and stuff, like if you lose your powers or something happens, they're like, hey, you're still a valuable member. We still need you on the team. That was Bouncing Boy. No. I think they kicked him. Like the second he lost his powers, they're like, you're useless to us. It's exactly what happened to him. And I remember reading and go, boy, that was cold. <laughs> like 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 bouncing boys out of the Justice League. His powers yeah. left him and they just kind of left him high and dry. Like nobody really appreciated his kind of Nobody said we're gonna try to help you or you can no. stay around and help us. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I do know I know one thing. You know what Bouncing Boy's real name is? No, I don't. I don't remember anyway. Chuck Tane. Chuck Tane. Chuck Tane. <laughs> Chuck Tane. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of name is How do you I'm spell Tane? <laughs> oh, yeah. B-A-I-N. Chuck. Charles Foster Tane. Chuck yeah. Tane. Oh, Chuck okay. Tane. But he was Chuck Tane. Chuck Tane. But what and, I mean uh, he... is if you drink something and it makes you sick, it doesn't make you sick forever. All of these superheroes, they had something happen to them one time and their lives were changed forever. Yeah. Yeah, like Spider-Man. Radioactive yeah, they, spider. Yeah. That changed his genetic code. That's why it lasted forever, Rob. That's right. And just like, a, yeah. Oh, Bouncing Boy had the same thing. He drank no, something that changed his genetic, genetic no, code. No, his powers went away. <laughs> yeah. Over and over and over again? How'd he get him back? Because then he got him back in an artificial way. I don't, I mean, I didn't follow the whole saga of Bouncing Boy. He's been around for a long time, but I yeah, kind of knew that. He did get his powers back. Like all of a sudden he'd be back and I go, how did he get back? And then they, you know, they do the story that somehow he revived his powers, but I don't remember how, but yeah, I don't, I don't either. I'm sure there was some other, but you know, it's bad when like, like Aquaman thinks you're lame. Cause Aquaman is kind of like, he, what do you do? I talk to fish or, like, oh. or the Adam or, you know, <laughs> the Adam little guys or yeah. the Adam probably loved He's having bouncy boy around. <laughs> Yeah, Adam and uh, Bouncing Boy, I think, were um, lovers. <laughs> In the closet of the 50s. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. So I should probably take a break here. I'm just trying to figure out the morning. Yeah, I'll take a break and we'll come back. Uh, let's see. Okay. You know, one hey. thing, do you know that the... the um Richest man in the world keeps bouncing from person to person lately. I don't know what you mean. The richest person in the world. Do you know who it is? Oh, do I know who the wealthy? Isn't it like a guy from Saudi Arabia or uh, no. a prince? Willie no. Who is the guy? Was Willie Fist the guy? Today. <laughs> Willie Fist the guy. Who is it today? Today it's Elon Musk. Oh, wow. I dig but, that. 
a few, you know, and he's been it for a few weeks, but it keeps bouncing around. One minute is Jeff Bezos. Right. Then it goes back to Elon Musk. And then there's this third guy who owns some luxury brand company from France. You, so the three of so. them bounce around from week to week to week, depending on what mm-hmm. their stock price is. And Elon Musk just announced a big uh, deal with Hertz that is uh, just coming back. The, they're going to buy a fleet of electric cars from Tesla. So the other day, the stock went from, I don't know. 800, it had been lingering around the $600 range. It went to a, over $1,000 just on that wow. news. I dig that so guy. He like, I like the richest man in the world. I'm not angry with rich people. I, I, there's some, I mean, some I am, the ones who like inherit their wealth. And I'm like, you know, fuck you. You're like vampires. But the, uh, a guy like Elon Musk, you know, he's inventing cars, electric cars, and he's, uh, he's uh, a guy who's always moving and shaking. Hey. He's like a superhero to me because he's constantly thinking about how to change everything into battery power. Like one day your house is going to run on a battery, not electricity or any of that other stuff you have pumping into your house right now. I got nervous. I was like, oh, Avril Lavigne, she's so sweet. And now she's dating a guy with named Mod Son. And he seems like a, a hippie. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I, I just got nervous. Uh, I thought maybe she'd settle down with an accountant or something. But <laughs> but there are these certain guys I notice on Daily Mail that date hot chicks who are rock stars or actresses. And you don't know what they do, but they seem to date all the hot chicks. And Right, right. And they don't apparently, they appear to all have like way out kind of a look, you know, like crazy look, you know, multicolored hair, multicolored pants. You know, yeah, they should know. be famous because they dress yeah. like they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they look fa- like he's got nail polish and a ton of earrings and tattoos. And I'm like, well, how do you get a like, job? What was he doing <laughs> to yeah. make money with that look? Yeah, I tried to get on that hot chick, sir. I got Beth, and I said, I better stop right here. I better. <laughs> I don't know I if don't I'm going to be handed off to another hot chick. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, what if I get in the hot chick circuit? And then it turns out there was only one hot chick who was into me. <laughs> so I was smart that way. I, well, uh, she's I knew. Special. I mean, you know, she's that's not right. The average hot chick. That's right. There you go, Robin. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see a couple of people. A lot of people on our phone. Very excited about Billy Joel stopping by today to talk with us. Uh, let's see. This is Mark. Yes, Mark in Florida. Hey guys. Hi. How you doing? Um, hey. just want to say my son is a huge, huge Billy Joel fan. More than I am probably. He's only 12. 12. I'm kind of shocked see? about it. So when I, 12 years old, I got him hooked on it right away. Took him to a concert down here with my wife uh, a few years ago, like a new year's concert. And he's ever since every time he comes on the radio, it's ridiculous. He sings the songs word for word. There's a couple wow. of songs of Billy's that really get me. Number one song that really gets me is when he's singing uh, Good Night Saigon. You know, he's talking about Vietnam. And uh, first of all, it is so moving, that song. The other one is Miami 2017. Whenever I hear that song, I immediately get goosebumps. It doesn't take more than three seconds as soon as he starts singing it. I've seen the lights go out on Broadway. I don't know. It gets me fucking crazy. 
And then the other one he does, uh, what the hell's the one? Um, um, Down Easter Alexa. Yeah, there it is. Love that song. I mean, I love all of his songs. Anything off Street Life Serenader. Uh, That was the first Billy Joel album I really got into. Street Life Serenade. No offense, offense, but he has the words. He knows the words, though. No offense. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I do do a a pretty good uh, rendition of Down Easter Alexa, uh, but never with the words. Just pure emotion. (laughs) I emote. You see, that's why I don't sing at concerts, because I'm like, (laughs) I used to try that move at concerts to try to look like I knew all the words, but I realized I don't know any words. And I've heard that song nine million times. Just lip sync. Yeah, that's what I do. It looks like you know your words. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So people know I'm cool. But, uh, yeah, it, it, remarkable, remarkable catalog. Yeah, we're kinda, we can't wait for it to actually come live today. I have to have him listen to it later on. Is it cool? Right. All right. Later. Billy sings about things, Watch you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, he said, he, that's why, that's my theory on why he, um, he hangs out with people because he's got a, yeah, you know, needs experiences. Yeah, that yeah. Like there was about where he can be, he can relate to what people are going through and then put it in a song. Well, there was like three years of his life. He lived in Los Angeles. He had already put out Cold Spring Harbor and, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, nothing was really happening in his career. Cold Spring Harbor, you know, that was the album. They fucked up and they sped it up. So he goes out to LA and he's playing in a dive bar, like a shithead, like the, like a shittiest bar ever. But uh, he's sitting there watching people interact, and he starts writing music, watching what's going on at the bar. And that's when he wrote um, Piano Man. Mm-hmm. Because Piano Man was basically, he goes, hey, there's Navy, there's Davy from the Navy, and there's uh, this chick, and there's that guy. And it was just a loserish kind of bar. It was like a... Um, like it wasn't like one of those bars you went on a date. It was like for people who had just lost yeah, money at the like track. Yeah, it wasn't like this beautiful yeah. restaurant where you know no, they had living tablecloths and all no, that. No, no, no. It was a bar for degenerates, like who really <laughs> needed a drink. You know, people These who guys were, de- were there all the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, they just got told they're going to prison, and they're like, you know what? Let me go get a drink before I turn myself in. <laughs> Let me get together with my buddies. But here you go. Tonic and gin. Right, Robin. Sure. Go ahead. He says, son, can you play me a memory? He said, son, can you play me a memory? And everyone at the bar thought that it was like, Billy, like, what are you doing here? You're way too good for this. But he was like, hey, there's a guy pissing himself at the end of the bar. La, la, la. Right. Okay. Anyway, let's not blow our load. We'll talk to Billy when he's here. No. Uh, Russell, go ahead. Hey, hey now. 
We uh, yeah. went out to Austin, Texas this weekend and saw Billy Joel at the F1 concert. I've never seen my wife bawl her eyes out like that. He uh, played Piano Man, and that was her father-daughter dance at our wedding. So seeing that in live was just absolutely incredible. He did a great show. Well, yeah. He still got it. Still got the voice, the whole thing. Yeah. Amazing. He, Amazing. We had 400,000 people at the Formula One race this weekend, and he absolutely packed the show. The band was incredible. He looks great, man. It was – I'm not so big on Billy Joel, but it was my wife's dream to go, so that was just a – awesome show he rocked it for sure all right thank you russell there you go i've watched a little formula one this weekend did you really how the fuck did you do that (laughs) i mean jesus well i try to tune around to all the different football games what's going on with you you know and one of those stations in between at formula one racing i said okay ronnie watches this nascar stuff let me see how long i can handle this how and long did you last it's like good good seven minutes i think wow. then i had to change the channel <laughs> it's like a rodeo see how long you could sit on the bull <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you're a former race car driver i remember there was a period of time where you were running around racing cars and there was something yeah, going on yeah, there yeah. yeah that was one of your <laughs> I like, personality. I like but man, and you know, Formula One is amazing. What is that? Isn't that what it Bouncing means... Boy drank to uh, get his powers? <laughs> yeah, I think Formula that's One. What they called the drink, yeah. but it's these cars that don't even look like cars. You know, like they're all hopped up and have these special motors and great big tires, and I guess they're going uh, around that track at several hundred miles an hour and running into each other. Yeah, during the you know the quarantine, Robin's got to be super careful, more so than most. And you call over there, and she's got that TV on. Sometimes I hear her lowering it. She's a bit, she loves TV because listen, she's sitting at home. What the fuck are you gonna do? <laughs> so she's desperate. Sometimes she goes, "You got anything for me to watch? Have you seen anything good?" I go, "Robin, calm down." <laughs> like a junkie. Uh, <laughs> Jason, you're on the game. I see how long I can stay on a channel. Right. Yeah, Jason. Hey now, guys. Hey now. Hey now. Hey now. So I wanted to follow up on Jeff the Drunk from yesterday. Um, Why don't we have a uh, Jeff the Drunk free winter? Because every time he calls, he's on (laughs) on the show. He's a bored. I think it would be more interesting to take calls from his lump personally. I'll tell you the truth. Uh, you're not you're not far off here, Jason. And Jeff the Drunk took a beating in the fan mail yesterday. I mean, let me see if I can get him on. Hold on, Jason. I'll put you on with him. Okay. Hey, Jeff, you took a beating in the fan mail. You didn't come off well. Yeah. Let me read you some of this. This is going to be a little painful, so stay with me. Uh, Jeff was complaining again about that he doesn't get enough airtime, and High Pitch Eric gets more airtime. You know the drill. That's what you want. That's, That's what, what I want. What do no, I want? About you want me to be bitching and complaining. That's what you want. Just show. Jeff, you're a bore. You have every time you call, your topics are pointless. Shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> you fuck <laughs> you. Where, where's, Who are you? Who are you? I want to hear from your lump. He's more interesting. Your mother you? needs extra money. 
Jason, who are you, you to criticize a- Jeff, really? <laughs> well, hey, uh, you know, I'm a fan that listens every day. I enjoy your show. And every Thank time you, you call, so am I, I'm a fan. And plus, for a porn star. Plus, I give content. Fuck you. How are you? Don't you give a porn star. He gives content. You don't give content. Oh, my. I'm the only reason why I was listening to you. Think oh. about that. Yeah. Right, that's it, true. It, where, where, where's the where's the uh, the porn star that you couldn't get it up for? You didn't lube it up, right? What, what was that like ten or fifteen years ago? You couldn't get it up. Oh, that was more than more than fifteen. No, years I ago. did get it up. Yeah, I did get it up. How the fuck am I gonna? How can I put a fucking limp dick into a condom? Think about that, fucker. I think right. you're Jason, thank you. <laughs> thank you for the call, Jason. All right, thank yeah. you. Uh, Jeff, yeah, so you took a beating in the uh, fan mail. Uh, Let me read you this. Yeah, Jeff the Drunk. Are you on the speaker again, the speakerphone? Yeah. Yeah, you you got to pick it up because it's so hard to understand you anyway. We go through this every time. Um, I can't. Oh, he did something different. Hold on. Hold on. This is great content, Jeff. <laughs> He's providing content. He content. <laughs> Jeff the drunk. What a clown. Calls into the show and only brings things down. Nice. Drunk, baby. Fucked up again. Annoying as can be. Don't pick up on the schmuck. He's such a crybaby. What is that? Is that Hello? better? Yeah. All right. Is anyway, I'm just better? telling you. Yes. Yes. Okay. Do that one more time. <laughs> Thank you for the content, by the way. Um, Jeff the Drunk, uh, here's his email. Jeff the Drunk must be terrified with no SSI money coming in. It's the best news I've heard in years. You know, people are very happy about that. <laughs> um, this one says, I've no one like- no SSI. For two years now. No one likes Jeff the Drunk this because he was open. No one likes this. I'm just hey, reading Jeff. the mail. No one likes Jeff the Drunk. talking under Howard while he reads. <laughs> That's what no you're one, doing. <laughs> no one likes Jeff the Drunk because he has always treated fans like shit. He blocks them for all for stupid shit because he's a baby, and now he whines because no one wants to pay for his shitty cameos. He fucking sucks. Uh, this one says, "Oh yeah, Hel- like high pitched answer, a good cameos." <laughs> he tell Jeff to stop crying like a little bitch that he has no money. Get a fucking job. The baby crying sounds from Fred are totally fitting. Um. Oh, and this one says Jeff the drunk is way less entertaining than high pitch Eric on any given day. When he comes on, I turn the radio oh, off. He is disgusting <laughs> oh, in every way possible. Shit. By the way, speaking of high, speaking of high pitch, Eric, this is this might upset you. A wrap up poll show showed that eighty one percent of those who voted said high pitch Eric was superior to Jeff in the whack pack hierarchy. So eighty one percent. No, I, I, it's a How real, can it's you a real poll. The numbers, it was. No, I, believe, I believe, yeah, I believe that, but I believe, I also believe that people are just 
understand that to get under my skin. Oh, so nothing is ever real. It's all just to get under your skin. Here's the final uh, email about Jeff's appearance yesterday. More Jeff the Drunk, please. Signed, nobody. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, you took a beating from the fans. But uh, listen, I still love you. Don't worry about it. As long as I'm in your corner, you get on the air. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Okay. All right, Jeff. Thank you. All right. All right. We'll hear from you again when you forget Howard's in your corner. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) By the way, I heard a rumor that Jeff is considering cutting off his dead arm that hangs on on the side of his body. Is that true? Remember when I... Yes. Remember when I had the rotator cuff? Yeah. In my good arm? I go to the doctor I saw last week, and I said, is there any way you could cut off my bad arm? He said, let me look into that, and he'll let me know next time I see him. I Mm. think it's in two weeks. Why would you do that? Because it's a pain in the ass. The doctors have been telling him that for years. But Jeff was hoping maybe they'd find a cure to revive his arm, oh. which I get. I get it. He was holding out hope. But I think at this point, uh, Jeff kind of made the decision. I think it would, his life would probably be easier if he didn't have to, like, wear that big sling and all that other crap that he has to And, and use. drag that arm around, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's a hard life. So, like, his life might actually get easier if he didn't have that arm hanging there, right? Is that is that the idea, Jeff? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking Uh-oh. I could Eric's pissed at Eric's pissed at you, but don't hang up on him. I mean, hang in there. Hold on a second. What's up, Eric? I'm thinking, Jeff, why do you get off my fucking dick? Because I don't have anything against you. All you do is you have something against me. Because you're a fucking, I, fucking asshole. No, you're a fucking, fucking, no, no, you're a fucking, fucking asshole. I no, fucking have to. I report my income. You no, don't report was, your income. No, I, no, you I don't report income. Yes, I do. You, you do you not. Don't know anything. You don't know anything. They would have let you. They would have let you get your benefits if they knew how much money you got. No, you I report my income. I report. I report my income every month. But I haven't done blue blood. If I done blue blood, I would report that income too. So you don't know anything. Fuck you. Fuck Howard. I fucking, I reported my income since day one. And after about six months, they cut me off. And believe me, they would have cut Eric off a long time ago. No, but you can't make a certain certain amount of money a month. You're a liar. No, you're a liar. No, I'm not. You are a liar. You've no, always been a liar. Fuck. Fuck. Well, you can see there's a feud. It's so sad to me because uh, high pitch, uh, as I said to Jeff yesterday, Jeff feel it sounds to me like he's jealous of high pitch. And, and for anyone to be jealous of high pitch, I mean, it's a sad commentary. I mean, if you're going to be jealous of someone, be jealous of somebody with a little more success in life. But, the real uh, crazy thing is that Jeff does everything Eric does. Right. 
They're fighting over the same little slice of the pie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but what about reporting the income? He says he does. If they reported, why don't you guys? Why don't you guys? Why don't you guys band together and be jealous of someone like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, well, why are you jealous of each other? He wouldn't get. He wouldn't get at this guy if he reported. That's all I'm saying. Cameo is tearing my whack pack apart. It really is. You don't know anything I do, Jeff. Just stay out of my fucking life. Fuck you. Fuck you too, bitch. (laughs) Fuck you, Eric. Fuck you, Jeff. Fuck you, Jeff. Hmm. This is some argument. Fuck you, Jeff, you fat bitch. My dick fuck face. <laughs> All right. Okay, guys. All right. I'll talk to you, you later. Have a Thank dick. you. Hey, Howard. Eric, neither do you. Oh, I do have a Howard. dick. All right. Let me ask Robin. Let's settle this once and for all. Let's settle this once and for all. Robin is a yeah, sexy woman. Let Robin. me ask her a question. Robin. Okay. You're on an island, and for whatever, I'm not going to go into the whole backstory, but you have to fuck one of these guys. You either have to fuck High Pitch Eric or Jeff the Drunk. It's like to save the world or something like that. Who do you choose? Are you going to fuck High Pitch? It's mandatory. It's mandatory. In other words, you can't say, oh, I'm not attracted to either one. You can't, you got to, you got to <laughs> fuck one of them. I can't walk into the ocean. Right. No, you can't drown yourself. You can't say that's it. I'm, I'm going to mutilate myself so I don't have to have sex with them. You have to have sex with one of them. Who what? wins in that contest? Jeff the drunk or Hypercharic? And imagine you nude and they're on top of you nude and uh, they're having their way with you. They're doing whatever well, they no, want. no, that's not. With Eric, he wouldn't be on top, so that's why I'm choosing Eric. (laughs) You want Eric? You you would fuck Eric because what would you do? You lay him on his back and then just ride him on top. I just climb on top of him and get it done and be be done with it. But you could do that with Jeff. I wouldn't be on top. (laughs) How could he be on top? He's got he's got he's got one arm. How can he be on top? Eric could be on top more than he's got that arm there in the way. Well, he's going to get that cut off. Well, you didn't say it was already cut off. I'm dealing with the Jeff we have right now. And plus, you're on an island. You could cut it off and eat it, you know. <laughs> I don't think it would be too tasty. Maybe you want Eric on top of you because he'll kill you, and then you won't have to know that you had sex with him. have to live with the memory? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You'll be riding me like a horse. Wouldn't it be great if we could uh, take Jeff's arm when he gets it cut off and sew it onto High Pitch Eric's back and he could have three arms? <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, uh, Jeff, hang in there and uh, Eric, hang in there, okay? All right. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you guys. We too. love you right. both. We don't want you fighting. Yeah, there's no need to fight. All right, Jeff. Later. He's Jeff, Jeff the drunk, everybody. You know, everyone doesn't love him. He's an acquired taste. Uh, the guy who really gets hammered is Bobo. Please, Howard, three days in a row of Bobo, please stop. Um, here, has Bobo ever formulated a decent question or topic of discussion for the show? 
Can you recall anything off the top of your head? Because the man is ridiculously unintelligent. Uh, Howard, <laughs> please stop picking up on Bobo. It brings the show to a halt. His stupidity isn't even funny anymore. This is this is a sick man. Well, in honor of our uh, guest today, Billy Joel, here's a song about Bobo that I can play for you that uh, maybe you'll like. I don't know. Let's see. Hey now, Howard. He'll annoy you to death with nonsensical calls. I have to ask you one thing. Bobo asks questions that make no sense at all. What's a scrimbrick? How does he find all these dumb things to discuss? Oh. Yeah, he calls every day, but he's always a moron to us. I have about 18 <laughs> legal pads that I'm staring at. Oh. I like it. Yeah, I'm an idiot. Uh, on Tuesday's show yesterday, I looked at some of the wacky antics and beliefs and schemes of Pat Robertson's awful career. We were celebrating the fact that he retired at 91 yeah. years. Uh, thank God that piece of shit Charlotte and Pat Robertson is throwing in the towel. Howard, his bigotry is the last thing this country needs right now. Right on for exposing him for who he truly is. Um, this guy says, I love Howard's Pat Robertson impression. Not only is the impression good, but the things Howard says as him are not too far off. I'm glad he won't be spewing his ridiculous <laughs> thoughts on television anymore. And, uh, Howard, I'd like to thank you for doing your Pat Robertson uh, impression. Uh, I'd love to think that Pat Robertson is retiring because he can't take you goofing on him anymore. <laughs> no, I, I don't think he cares, quite frankly, that I'm goofing on him. I'm pretty sure he likes what he's doing and he doesn't care. Uh, finally, in the emails and... Uh, Howard, stop asking Gary about sports. When you asked him what the Jets' problem was on Monday, his answer was, I don't know. His knowledge of sports is equal to Sal's knowledge of history. I'd rather hear sour Gary talk about why the Jets are so terrible. So I don't know. What did Gary say? I thought Gary had a pretty good answer. He was talking about the front office and management and ownership and, you know, and uh, a general... Um, culture of the Jets that is loserish. Hey, now, I think you should start referring to Ronnie as Mogul Mund. Yeah. He's on the, he's on the Las Vegas scene with his helicopter pals, race car yeah. driver pals, and restaurant owner pals. He's like Robert De Niro's character in Casino. <laughs> uh, just to compare, I know zero race car drivers, chopper pilots, or restaurateurs. Uh, good point. Yeah, no, Ronnie has parlayed his fame off of the radio show into quite the uh, uh, conglomeration of pals uh, with uh, very influential yeah, he has jobs. Like a rat pack, you know, that he travels yeah. around with. Yeah. And when I point out that this is a result of him, he goes, I've known this guy for six years. I go, well, you've been on the show for like 20. He's not so. a new friend. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I got to say, Ronnie really knows how to parlay that fame into um, having very influential and famous friends. So he's living his best life out in Vegas. That's why. Remember, he was anxious to get out there. He was like, yeah, this is holding me back. Yep. A lot of people wrote in about Gary's phlegm. I don't know if I'm going to go through all of those. Gary clearing his throat. People, Do they have uh, a solution or, or a suggestion? Yeah. Well, let's see. The thought of having to listen to Gary clear his throat while you're trying to have breakfast is truly disgusting. Why would you ever want to experience that in person? Thank God for cough buttons. <laughs> um, what about Gary using hypnosis? 
I think we tried that with them. It didn't did work. Did we? We did not try that. But I don't think it would. Uh, I used it to put smoking. <clears throat> I see. How about if you install a cough button right into Gary's throat? That he could press to mute his incessant talking whenever he's about to clear the phlegm from his throat. By the way, uh, this is a note. Even when we were in studio, Gary was the only person in our staff to have his own personal cough button so he could uh, clear his throat. Right, Gary? Yeah. When we do the panel, I had my own cough button, and, and it was so crazy. Sometimes when I had to wear a headset microphone, um, they would install a cough button on the floor. You wouldn't even see I would step on it. Oh. Jeez. I don't know if that's a good idea. We'd like to hear your every, you know. <clears throat> um, it breaks my heart to hear that Gary's walking away unscathed from clearing his throat. He should be getting goofed on for it. You guys need to get back in that studio whenever you can. I agree. We will get back in the studio. I do want to hear Gary clearing his throat so I can get annoyed and, you know, and erupt on the air. <laughs> Howard, I'm happy to hear that you have an interest in getting back in the studio. We don't want to miss out on any more in-studio moments that have been passing us by since COVID. I miss the hijinks like Gary's phlegm that could only be addressed when you guys are all in the studio together. And it's true. Because Gary has said, I love being home. I love working from home. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, yeah, it's great. I, you know, I don't have to put up with all the antics in the, uh, in the office. And I'm like, well, that's just the problem with working from home. We want to see you in that office, and we want to goof Gary on you. The guy who also took a beating was Sal. And it, that whole incident with his female doctor, Oh, what did people say? Well, you remember, Robin, on Monday's show, Sal revealed that his smoking hot doctor refused to see him because she caught on that he enjoyed when she would examine his penis. Right. And for those of you who missed that. I got a little. Uh, I just thought and, it was a nice bonus. You know, it's tough enough going to a doctor. A and then bonus. when you have somebody who's, you know, pleasant to be around and she's checking you, I'm like, wow, this, you know, she, she. She motivated me to go back. So you said. So thing. you said to her. You said to her, "Hey, ma'am, a ma'am, I'm a doctor. Dude, you didn't check my testicles. Would you please test t- check them?" And yeah, yeah. And she turns around. She goes, "No, you're good." And she leaves. <laughs> she left the room. I'm like, God, what a bummer! <laughs> like a, what happened? Like a massage parlor. Like, in there. I didn't want to pay the copay that day. I, I know he's looking off. for a happy ending from his doctor. Howard, I've been a nurse for 19 years, and I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen a doctor fire a patient. There's no <laughs> way that's all he did. Yeah, you know, I wish we could have had a camera in that room. Well, this is the thing. Sal doesn't even know that he's doing something wrong. Absolutely. He, he, this woman even points out he had to have been a complete creep. It takes so much for doctors to refuse to see a patient. Sal is disgusting. <laughs> Here, listen to this one. My fiance is a dermatologist who has come home from work hundreds of times distraught after having to deal with patients like Sal. They ban people like that from practices. She basically deals with sexual assault at her place of work and has threatened to report this stuff to authorities. If my fiance had seen Sal and this had happened, you can bet we'd report him. Sal, you are a sick piece of shit. Mm. I'm a pervert. (laughs) Uh, just so Sal knows, he's 1,000% on an electronic medical record, EMR alert. They can be put on patients who owe money, are difficult, or are creepy. So as soon as they tried to make his appointment, the red flag alert came up. Sal, you are so creepy but entertaining. So there, there's kind of a mixed bag for Sal. He's a creep, but he's an entertaining creep. <laughs> I'm an idiot? Yeah. 
And uh, also, um, on, on Monday show, we played the Whack Pack vaccination game where we had to guess whether a Whack Packer was vaccinated. Uh, Whack Pack logic is always fascinating. It's so interesting to hear the serious medical opinion of someone named Will the Farter. <laughs> Ask Napkin Ed's confident delivery on the vaccine is hilarious. I loved his reasoning for not getting it. Baby specimens are in the vaccine. Wasn't he doing heroin a few months ago? Yes. Yes, he was. It's crazy that so many people who put dangerous substances into their bodies are worried about the vaccine. It is just maddening. And uh, his research included that there were baby fetuses in the vaccine, which I don't even know where you read that and how you accept that. Howard, I'm happy to know that underdog is vaccinated. We need her around for as long as we can. I love her reaction to the needle. She's like a toddler. I got a couple of whack pack bonus clips here for you, Robin. Uh, bonus clips? Yeah. King of all blacks already said he's vaccinated. We knew that. Yeah. But he always he always wants the best brand for everything. You know, that's his thing. Name brands and he wants the best. So What's which the best booster? vaccine? That's right. Is that what so you're asking already, me? That's okay. right. What do you think he thinks is the best vaccine? King of all blacks. I don't know. Well, um, here you go. Maybe Moderna. All right. Let's see. You're all about getting the best of the best. Will you be getting the booster shot? Yeah, that's why I'm getting the Pfizer booster shot. Why? Because white people take it. Nah, I just, well, I just did my research, and I knew this years ago. I mean, not years ago. But if you remember, months ago, I told you Pfizer was the Bentley of, of vaccines. Stay your ass away from Johnson & Johnson. So you're getting the Pfizer booster, booster shot. shot because it's the Bentley of booster shots. Absolutely. Everybody knows that. Everyone. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't either. Yeah. And remember that guy, Angry Black? We haven't spoken to him in a while, but he's yeah. around. They called him. I he's, believe uh, that he was anti-vax when we yeah. talked to him last. Yeah, and he's even more... He, first of all, he fights with King of All Blacks. Uh, all the time, if you remember. But, yeah, he's anti-vax. It's like, I, I always thought he was a pretty bright guy. But, man, he's just, got, he's way out there. Way out there. I have not been vaccinated, and nor shall I get a vaccination uh, unless my personal physician tells me to get one. I will not what? be cheap. I'm not going for it. And uh, the Democratic Party for the last mm, 19 months, they enjoyed this. This is what they want. Socialism, Marxism, and I'm not going to be part of it. I, I, I'm not anti-vaccine. I want to be clear on that matter. If you feel you want to get a shot, get the shot. But talk to your physician first before you walk into a subway station and see some jag off in a white coat. Oh, yeah, come in here. Uh, let me give you a shot. No, talk to your personal physician. See what he or she says. And what is from there. He's, he's, he, he, what, what personal physician has he gone to that told him not to take a vaccine? Uh, that would this be very is what strange. I'm wondering who his doctor is. <laughs> Dr. Bombay used to be on Bewitched. <laughs> and he's acting like him. none of us have talked to our doctors. Yeah. Uh, of course I asked my doctor. My doctor said you better get it as soon as possible ASAP. Get it, dude. Don't even mess around. What the fuck And how is going does a, do a shot make a vaccine make you Marxist or socialist? Yeah. Hey, Ralphie boy, what's up? What's on your mind? Hey, now. Hey, a hey couple now. things. First of all, it's been a great cocktail. Hey, 
Um, like, I, I still can't get over Sal with the doctor. I mean, if you went to the doctor and that happened, you got banned. I mean, wouldn't you just, like, shoot yourself? Yeah, I would be humiliated if my female doctor put me on the perv list and said, no, you can't come here anymore. And I can only imagine, I would give anything. I would give you're a, a rewriting. Larger... You're rewriting history. How Stop so? It now, how so? Because I went to the doctor. I got checked. I said it was a pleasure because she was beautiful. And a year later, I was hold told it. that hold it. I was hold no it. longer hold a patient it. because a year and expired. Were, no perversion. No creepiness. Nothing. She was looking for an excuse to get rid That's of you. That's your assumption. I Ralph. will go, wait a second. You left out some details, brother. When you were at shit, the doctor, brother. when you were, I, um, you did leave out stuff. Number one, you went to the female doctor, Correct. she checked your balls, and you wouldn't cough loud. So she was struggling with you because you didn't want to cough, so you should keep her hand on your balls longer. I, that was a little bit of a, that was a bit okay. of exaggeration. Okay, fine. Then, instead of going back for a yearly checkup, you immediately booked a six-month checkup because yes, you wanted the hand true. on your balls. Okay. Then no, you go, well, the balls, and, the, the, and the, she the, doesn't want to check your balls, and you go, hey, Doc, what about this? And you point right. at the cock. The third time, the third time, <laughs> if you're getting an examination, I pointed yeah. to my crotch area and said, what yeah. about this? It's part, And that's it. And then a year went by from COVID, and I wasn't hey, alive. And then Sal, Sal, what did she say when you said, what about this? She goes, no, you're good, and she left the room. Yeah. Yeah, you could, you creep. <laughs> you were sending well, off some kind of Well, that's according to you. Vibe, you might dude. have thought, maybe she just got uh, sick of checking my cock. I don't know, but I didn't here's the point. do anything. I stood and there here's like the a, point. Every, the here's point the is point. that she was an attractive lady, and I said it was a bonus, and you guys are spinning it into I'm, I'm on the creep list. Uh, that's well, not the case. You could call, I, call the fucking right. doctor. I'm going to call the doctor. I'm going to call the doctor, and I'm going to say, could, could you just be honest with us? Why was Sal <laughs> dropped as a patient? You really want to know why? I'll find yeah. out. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. Because you, I, I you had, might be the reason sorry. why I told this story is because I have no shame in it because I did nothing wrong. I said it was an attractive doctor Sal, and it was a bonus. When you I told us the story, women, you said, and I'm quoting you now, the doctor may have sensed, quote, some creepiness during the first yeah, exam. Listen, you have so to you know you're leaving on out the, details. On, you're yeah, you have to paint a picture details. on radio, but I'm saying to go that far, you're at, I was just a normal patient who was pleased by the fact that she was attractive. Sal, and it was do you a, know? She doesn't Harvey, want that. Do She's you know? Do you know pleased. that Harvey Weinstein wrote me from prison and said I think Sal might have gone too far? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! What he's like? I can't ever, even believe he's defending himself. Uh, there's nothing to defend, Robin. She was well, Sal is right in the one balls, sense. And it was a, he it was wants nice. me to That's get confirmation was. from the doctor's point of view why he was banned. Well, the Very, doctor may not I do that because of client, a pa uh, patient, doctor privilege. Well, I'm going to get Sal to sign a piece of paper saying he wants to know the truth. All right. I've heard women uh, say before, my gynecologist is so hot. People, you can say that somebody's yeah, attractive. Sal, you it doesn't mean Sal. that you're hitting on them. They're not signing up for every six-month checkups. Sal, I guarantee well, If I had a hot doctor in. and a pussy, I would see him every six months, Robin. Why not? And yeah, and by the way, then you started sending your friends over to her for them to get checked. They probably went in there and said, hey, Sal said you'll check my penis. <laughs> I did send a friend. and uh, Why not? She was making extra money. I'm Shame. helping the economy. But, you know, Sal had this fantasy, Robin, that the doctor would ask him to take his pants off first so she could check his <laughs> yeah, penis right yeah. away. Am I lying? 
Yeah. Well, who doesn't have a fantasy? If you, if you, we all, that's a fantasy. That's not reality. All right. It's just like, you Howard, know, she, Howard, she, so Howard, we, Howard, have you ever heard of a doctor? Have you ever heard of a doctor getting rid of patients? I mean, I, I no. never, to me, to friends, never. It doesn't happen. They don't just get rid of you. Sal got dumped. I fell off the patient list due to time. That's the only reason why I'm not there. Yeah, COVID. You guys like to spin this. How much you want to bet you weren't dropped because of time? It was one year. Yeah, let's bet. I'm in for 100. I'm in for 100. Do you really think think that doctor wants to sexually satisfy you? No, I don't think that at all, nor did I ever say that, Robin. You were saying you enjoyed her cupping your balls, so you wanted her to keep it your was hand nice. there. Usually, her hand yes. there. She's not uh, who doesn't that. enjoy that? I mean, I'm like, I said it. That's a nice little additional bonus. She's checking my balls. It's like she's it's not there to, to have give a nice you lady bonuses. Well, Sal is rewriting well, it, history a little bit because he said when he went to the hot doctor, uh, he felt that she caught on to the fact that he enjoyed it when she touched yeah. his penis. So I assumed that maybe I go, could she possibly ah. think that? That was my own paranoia, but I didn't do anything to trigger that. I, ah, there no, like I understand that, but I, 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 I just know if I had been in that room, I'm sure there was more going on than I, I Oh, imagine. yeah, there was so much going on. I, sh- I, no, no, I mean, I just could that. imagine she picked up the creep factor. Sal, you, know? you forget that I worked in hospitals, and you know when a guy is sexually turned on and wants extra attention and is trying to get you to do something right you would know or that Robin, because you straddled what the you're guy. doing that you're not intending right like the time you straddled the guy robin no 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 yeah no. i'm not yeah, talking about yeah. that i'm a talking about poor the, guy in a the bed and you're hopping guy on top. who was now yeah, rubbing wrong. himself against the sheets because i was giving yeah. him a back rub well listen I in sal's defense in sal's defense he didn't get hard, but there was some tingling going on on the doctor's face. <laughs> right. tingle. I'm tingling 24 seconds. <laughs> I went to a doctor. Uh, I gotta go got anyway. All right, Ralphie, there's your answer. Uh, Sal says nothing uh, untoward happened. It's just a matter of that he hadn't been there in a year and. And uh, the yes, doctor dropped. Who wouldn't when, get rid of him after they hadn't been there? When is the when is the video of the October uh, the, the the penis contest? I'm, uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure pretty be. soon because uh, the guys usually have a day or two turnaround. So uh, it be, was. Yeah, be, there so, has to be was, great demand for that. Yeah, there it is was great so demand. Great the, the last guy, Robin, sort of liked him, and you can hear her going from liking her, like when she's giggling with Jake Gyllenhaal, like she's giggling, and then by the end she's disgusted with him when he like gets out his <laughs> when he shit out his balls. balls. Yeah. All right, Ralphie boy. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Uh, that's Thank Ralph. You. Everyone loves Ralph. Uh, Robin, we'll take a quick break. <laughs> I feel free. I happen to know that Billy Joel is a big Cream fan. He always uh, enjoyed them. One of his influences. Um, song written by Jack Bruce. Great song. Do I have that right, Billy? I think Billy's ready to go. Billy, you there? Here he is, the legend himself. And he is a legend. Look at you. Hey, Billy. 
I was. Uh, hi, I, you're a Creed fan, right? I love Creed. I love Creed. I feel free. It was a great band. Clapton's, uh, I, you know, Clapton's like one of my heroes, but he got weird with the pandemic and started going. Did you did you read about him? He was like one of the guys who was anti-vax. Yeah, I, it was a total shock to me. I, I didn't know what his politics were, but um, it's not pleasant. No, you look great. I, you know, I spent you. last night, I was telling Robin early this morning, I spent last night just listening to your catalog. What a fucking amazing accomplishment. These songs, and I, and I made the point, you know, you talk about the greatest songwriters that ever lived, which you, you know, I have to put you in that category. A lot of guys who write, write with a writing partner or write with a whole band. You did it all on your own. And and I wonder if that isn't part of the satisfaction as you look back on your life. Okay, Mick Jagger, great songwriter, but he needed Keith Richards. You know, Elton had Bernie. Uh, you had to do the whole thing yourself. And, and when you look back on that, it, to me, that's a special accomplishment. It's almost like John McEnroe was the greatest tennis player at one point in the world. But it was all just him. He wasn't on a football team. He wasn't... To be a great songwriter and to have that all come out of your head, isn't there some satisfaction in being the guy who wrote the whole thing? Well, to, I have to give credit where credit is due. A lot of the stuff that's on the recordings that everybody hears was run by my band before I recorded them. So I would bring stuff in, ideas, and if the band didn't like it, I would throw it out or I would change it or I would rearrange it. Um, I mean, honestly, uh, the drummer on, the, on those albums, Liberty DeVito, had a lot to do with uh, what songs got picked or not, uh, hmm. or how songs were played. Like, I came in with Only the Good Die Young. It was originally a reggae. Right. And he hated reggae, and he threw his sticks at me. So I hate reggae. I don't want to play like a reggae. So we had to figure out another way to do it, and that's why you hear what you hear. But And the guitar player put his two cents in. Doug Stegmar, the bass player, he put his two cents in. And I, the band had to like it before it was uh, arranged and recorded. You know, so, there was yes. a crucial... Yeah, but, but there was a crucial move, too. I was thinking about your career, and now I'm all over the place. But there's so much I want to say to you. And I haven't seen you in so long. I haven't seen you in two I years. I, I know. know. You've, been, you've been in, in your cave. <laughs> well, I was I was telling everybody earlier, I said, you know, one of the great pleasures of my life is knowing Billy Joel. He's a wonderful dinner guest. He comes in, he's ready to eat at five o'clock and he's ready to leave by seven. And uh, we, we had some great dinners. You, you're you on the same page as me. Let's go. Let's go. A couple of hours. That's it. It's enough. How much, I know how much when it's you take? like to be. Yeah. Like to be fish at somebody's house and start yeah. rotting from the head. Yeah. <laughs> But you're we am way more social than I am. I mean, uh, you you know you're going out and doing concerts now. I'm still hiding in my house. I'm not seeing anybody. I'm scared. I hear you. I, I'm, I'm a home buddy myself. I, I like I being know. home. When uh, first of all, I got to mention your appearance. I mean, this is a remarkable weight loss. How many pounds have you lost? This is a. It's, you look like a different guy. Uh, I lost like fifty pounds. No wow. kidding. How'd yeah. you do that? Uh, pain and aggravation. No, uh, I had on. no. Seriously, I had back surgery early this year, and 
the pain afterwards was so bad. I lost my appetite. It was wow. back, lower back pain. And they told me it may take a year for you to start to feel normal again. So losing the appetite, I embraced that. I said, okay, I won't eat as much. And I ate less and less and less and less. And then there was just life aggravation. And that tends to, you know, impact your appetite too. So I, I guess I just lost the, I wasn't really on a crash diet or, or doing any particular kind of exercise or anything. I just ate a lot less. And I had, I had gotten kind of chunky and uh, uh, I was happy to lose the weight. Do you ever get, and now this maybe is part of being a very famous uh, wealthy musician, and maybe it's just certain people, but I happen to suffer from this. Do you ever sit there and scream at the injustice of the world that you should not have any difficulties, you shouldn't have back pain, you shouldn't have, um, uh, you know, we shouldn't have to get older, are you fighting all of this stuff or are you are you accepting of all like you say life there was a bunch of life things going on that were difficult do you get angry at these difficulties or do you just accept them you deal with them uh there's no point in getting angry and getting frustrated because hey you think you got life all sussed out and boom something comes along and knocks you for a loop and that's what happens with life. You, you, you can't ever just rest on your laurels and say, okay, everything's going to be smooth from now on. It just doesn't go like that. Uh, sort of like we didn't start the fire. I know a lot of people don't like that song, but the whole point of that was not an apologia for the baby boomers. It was the world's a mess. It's a mess now. It's always been a mess, and it's always going to be a mess. Get used to it. Uh, so I, I'm happy to be alive. I mean, I'm happy to still be around. I've lost a few friends already and I'm grateful to still have my life. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I, I, I think about that all the time. Aging is really kind of freaky and I go, well, how much longer do I have? How much longer am I going to be here? And it flips me out, man. It just does. Yeah. You have to try to not to dwell too much on that because it can start to get morbid, but you become more aware of your own mortality. It becomes more palpable as you approach the end. You, you get sort of, you know, uh, a dialogue with it. Uh, how am I going to deal with that? Uh, what's that going to be like? Da, da, da. How, do, how do you leave? Uh, but to dwell on it too much isn't good. I think there's this, there's some kind of a little uh, automatic, you can't think about that too much system in, in the brain to prevent you from getting too deep. Billy, what do you make of when you read, I was thinking about you when I read this, uh, of like Bob Dylan selling his catalog for like hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, you read about some of these guys as they get older. Just telling, I, I look at your catalog. I'm talking about, I mean, we're going to celebrate your catalog. We're going to play a couple of tunes I want to ask you about. But when you sit and listen to all of the songs you wrote, I got, have you ever had an appraisal done on what your catalog would be worth if you sold it tomorrow? I've never had an appraisal done. There have been offers for me to sell it, uh, which I haven't accepted. Um, why? Why won't you accept it? Like, why, why not now at this point in your life say, you know what? Why not cash in? I, I mean, I might as well see the money now. Uh, well, look, for enough money, I guess everything's for sale. What's that in The Godfather? After all, we're not communists. Uh, <laughs> right. That's right. But, but uh, right now, I still have control 
of how the songs are used. I have a, a say over how they're licensed. Uh, if they want to be used for a, a, a commercial for, I don't know, underarm spray or toilet paper, I can say no. But sometimes I say yes, because I, I'm, I, I'm a fan of broadcast. Sometimes the, the, an advertisement will get to more people than regular radio play will. Um, so I, I'm the one who picks and chooses how it gets used. Uh, and if I sell my catalog, I give that power up. I give that control up. And they're my children. I think of my songs as my kids. I went through a pregnancy and a labor with these songs. I remember how hard I worked on them. And I don't necessarily want to give that permission away for how my kids are, are, are utilized. Right. Um, but I think for, you know, like a Howard Stern serious signing deal, I might go for your numbers. <laughs> Maybe you could negotiate the deal, Howard. No, I mean, come on. The numbers would be astronomical. We're, I think we're talking billion, a billion something dollars. I mean, at least at, at no, the I don't minimum. Think it's worth that much. I don't, really? I don't know who would pay that. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I, mean, the, yeah, I don't think so. so. But if somebody came in with a billion dollars, what am I going to say? No, I'm from well, Levittown. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is it Hicksville or Levittown you're from? I'm never really it's sure. The, it's the Levittown part of Hicksville. I am oh. from Hicksville. <laughs> That's where I went to school. That was my, my home. Uh, area, but there used to be a Levittown mailing address. So I was the Levittown part of Hicksville. Now, which is not far from Roosevelt, where you went right. to school. Yeah, no, yeah, we do. Great communities. Uh, you know, uh, it's a miracle that, that we got out of them. It really, you know, when you look back on your life and you realize you're a guy from Hicksville who just now fills Madison Square Garden whenever he wants to, uh, it is, it is quite remarkable. What are the odds of that happening to anyone? And, and you know, when I read zero, zero odds, <laughs> you, you have a better chance of being on the New York Yankees than, than yeah. doing what you accomplished. You know, it, it's yeah. really, it's really crazy. And, you yeah, know, there's one, one other guy I know from Hicksville who was, uh, Westbury, I think it was Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. Same era and same age. Yeah. Right. That's it. I, well, Dr. J came from Roosevelt and I think he was so embarrassed okay. being from Roosevelt. He used to tell people he was from Freeport because he considered that a better address. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And Sandra D came from Roosevelt too, I think. Really? Uh, you know, yeah. Well, Eddie Murphy. That. Yeah. Eddie Murphy and Flavor Flav too. So, I mean, uh, we've got quite a an alumni. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's great. a Massapequa group too. too. Oh Yeah. Billy Crystal, uh, I think the Baldwins, um, uh, Paul Reiser. There's a, uh, there's a whole Ma Ma Massapequa Mafia, too. It's got to be a surreal moment, you know, and, and one of the reasons Billy's here is uh, it, not that you need the promotion, really. Billy's going back to Madison Square Garden. He's uh, going to do uh, the, the concerts are amazing. And by the way, we talked about this earlier. When I go to your concerts, and I've seen you in concert at least five, six times, when there are people behind me in the crowd singing along, I want to fucking kill them. I am there to see Billy Joel and hear that voice and, 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 and take it in. Please tell your fans right now there is to be no singing along <laughs> with you. Because you I, I, these tone-deaf assholes who are sitting behind me at your shows, who are singing every word, word to Piano Man or anything from The Stranger, and you go, okay, you know the words. Congratulations. Do you agree with me, Billy, as someone who has attended many concerts as well? Shouldn't people quiet down during these concerts? 
I actually like when they sing along. I like hearing the audience oh, sing along. Oh, don't say that. Please. No, I'm Billy. sorry, Howard. I, I, <laughs> I get a kick out of it. It's like this community. Uh, it's like we're creating this, this community in, in the garden or even in these stadiums that we play at. When the crowd sings along, there's a great joy that I get from that. Um, I'm creating a, like a chorale. And uh, sometimes when I'm not, you know, when I'm singing and I'm worried, I'm, I'm going to forget the words, I'll actually watch people singing in the audience to read their lips. <laughs> like when I'm doing, we didn't start the fire, Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, John, and I'm looking at the people in the front, they're trying to prove to me they know the words. And then I try to read their lips. Oh, okay, they know the words. I'll follow that guy. <laughs> oh, my God, don't even tell me that. Is that really true? I mean, that's, that's crazy. True. But then you know, once in a while, there's somebody who doesn't have a clue what the words, and they just go, habba dabba dabba da, read it, that's start me. the fire. Oh, yeah, thanks a lot. I know that part. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, so, so you know, in, in planning today that you were coming, I was thinking about my college days when I was, uh, the, the album that I first got turned on to with Billy Joel was uh, Street Life Serenade. And, uh, you know, I know every song on that album. And I'm watching some concert or you're doing something online. This is years ago. And you're talking about the song Roberta. And I love the song Roberta that you wrote. Roberta. Da, 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 da. I think it's one of the most beautiful songs. And I don't know how many people know it. You know, I, I, you know who knows what the Billy Joel catalog is so vast. That's pretty obscure, think, that one. Is it? See, that's one of my favorite songs that you do. And, and, uh. All of a sudden, you say to the audience, by the way, this song is about a hooker who I fell in love with. And I went, what the fuck is Billy talking about? A hooker <laughs> that he fell in love with? That's Roberta? Here, wait, I'll, let me play a little of this song, get you in the mood. Because oh, we got to talk about this. Gorgeous song. Roberta, you say you know me. But I see only what you're paying to show me oh, I wish you had the time Oh, what a song oh, I wish you had the time And then when you said it was about a hooker, I said, oh, of course it is. Now it makes sense. <laughs> paid what you, sh you're only paid to, for to show me. So what, what the fuck are we talking about here, Billy? You were in, this is when you were in LA. It was that period in your life where, uh, Cold Spring Harbor had come out. The album didn't do what you wanted it to do. You go off to LA, you're fighting with your record company, the whole thing. And it's dreary and you're playing in that piano bar and it's filled with derelicts. Things are looking bleak. So what, how do you meet Roberta? Well, this came after the Piano Man album, Street oh, Life okay. Serenade was actually right. the third album I, I released after right. Cold Spring Harbor and Piano Man. So right. I was living in L.A., and uh, I met this woman um, who, it turns out, she was a call girl. Did and you know that? I like, didn't did know you that. pay her? No, no. You I, were dating I, her? No, I just met her. I just knew her. Oh, I see. Uh, just, just somebody I... I, I met and i knew and i thought uh, you know i kind of got a crush on her she was beautiful i couldn't believe that that was her job i just I couldn't get over it uh <laughs> she could be she could have been a model she could have been an actress but she was a call girl and um 
you know, I would like fool around and tease, you know, uh, about getting getting together and doing something. And she would say, "Yeah, okay, for uh, that's this is what I get for that." And I, mm. I was, wow. So that's how <laughs> no, it works. And she's very more- nonchalant about it. There's a bunch of different things going on in that song. I don't know if you you heard it in the in the recording you just played. There's this pedal steel guitar in that song, which is very very different from the typical Billy Joel song. That's like a country instrument, bound hmm. uh, like a Hawaiian kind of guitar thing. Yeah, I love the pedal steel guitar. We use that on a lot of songs too. I think it's a very sexy instrument. You know, uh, it's real. I've got so many theories and things about you. I was talking to Robin this morning. I said, you know, I'm so excited Billy's coming on. And I think about your life and, you know, at an early age, well, were you like six when they realized you were such a great musician, like your mom, you know, it's, it's mind blowing to me that you were playing classical music and things when you were just a little kid. And you first start piano lessons. When did you first start piano lessons? How old were you? I was four. Four? Yeah. And they and, and the teacher sees right away, you've got an ability, right? You weren't like some schlub who, uh, you know, was having difficulty. You could actually catch on. Well, the teacher never told me she thought I was particularly gifted or anything because I, I didn't really practice the way I should have. When you start taking piano lessons, of course, the first thing you learn are the classics. Right. Uh, you learn simple, uh, you know, nursery rhyme type of uh, songs. And then you start learning Haydn and, and Mozart and Clementi and Cherny and Hannon, uh, all the basic stuff. And that's typical of piano lessons, of anybody who's ever taken piano lessons. Um, so nobody told me, oh, you're really gifted, you're really talented when I was very, very young. I just kind of took to it. And mm. I started learning how to play by ear. Uh, I, oh, well, I just thought of something. I wanted to pop back. Who else came from my area? Lorraine Baracco. She came oh, okay. Too. Yeah, you can't Sorry, leave her out. I had a, a little <laughs> brain bubble that happened. Um, yeah, that was so, nice of you to remember her. Yeah, she was from Hicksville. She had the same chorus teacher, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everybody took kind of the same kind of lesson. I took the John Thompson piano course. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Standard. John, yeah. Tom, you remember that? Yeah, and I do. I took it. One, yeah. Book two, the first song I ever learned was called Off We Go to Music Land. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Off we what? go to music land. Learn by eye and ear and hand. Terrible. You know, I, I, you got through book one. I, I never did. I was so bad. I told you my piano teacher committed suicide. And and uh, my my parents would hide when he would come because they were upset that he he said please make him stop take lessons. So that's what they, they would beg him. You know, we had the opposite experience that you had. But here's my thing with you. And now I'm going to play psychiatrist because I'm hung up on this. Your father was a great piano player. He's a pianist, and your mother loved to sing. So there's music in the family. Mm-hmm. But the, the tragedy that I see in your life is, and, and you don't play this up at all, but the tragedy that I see in your life is that your father left to go to Europe. He left your mother, left you, when you were eight years old. Mm-hmm. And my, my true feeling is that when your father's absent and you ache for him, you got to find a way to connect. So, of course, the way for you to have a father was to play the piano because... 
you knew that he loved piano, so at least you could understand his love of the piano. So, so you almost had to be great at the piano because that was your father. That is a very shrink thing to say. Um, but what do you think yeah. of that? I think, in a way, I had to become my own father because right. I had no idea what a father was supposed to be. And I, this is interesting. I just saw a program the other day. Springsteen and Barack Obama were talking about the same subject. Both of them, their fathers weren't around. Their fathers right. were an absence in their lives. So they had to compensate for that in some way. Barack Obama became president of the United States. Bruce Springsteen became the, one of the biggest rock stars in history. I think I had to do the same thing. I had to compensate for not having a dad. Uh, but in a way, it also gave me a lot of freedom. Uh, I didn't have the fear factors a lot of guys had because their father was around. I never got, you know, punished by my father. Like, there was one time my old man hit me. I was playing. So he was upstairs. He had come back from a business trip. He was hardly ever around. But he was upstairs, I think, sleeping or taking a nap. And I started to play the Moonlight Sonata. Which goes da 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 da, and I started to rock it up da 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 da, and he came down the stairs like in one step and whacked me, and knocked me out. I was literally knocked out, and then when I came to, I thought, well, he heard me, you know. I was like a way to get attention from him was to play rock and roll because he hated rock and roll. Did he ever explain to you? Did he say he said I hate rock and roll and um, and he whacks you in the head to the point that he knocks you out? I mean, he, Jesus. Well, he didn't have to explain it to me. I got it with the knockout, you know. Right, right. Uh, and he uh, he was not a happy guy. He, he had a very very hard life. My old man. He was from Germany. The family were Jews. His family had to. Him and his parents had to flee. They lost all their money. They had a big business. They were. He was broke. Uh, mm. When they came, he couldn't even come to the States. He had to go to Cuba for a couple of years. Then he comes to New York. Finally, they get to America. He gets drafted into the Army and gets sent to Germany to shoot people from his own hometown. Uh, so it kind of messed him up. I mean, yeah. my father wow. had, a, had a very difficult life. And and when he leaves, uh, again, uh, you know, you're eight years old and your mom's spending. Your mom never remarried, right? She was no. a single mother. She didn't have yeah. any financial help. She had to raise you herself. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and there was very little contact with your old man. And so, none. none. Unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable. By the way, there's two things I learned about you. One, your father's first name was Howard. Right. And and the first piano you ever had that you loved and that you would you would you loved the piano so much you would sleep under it. You wanted to be near it. <laughs> this was it's a it almost brings me to tears. The piano's name was Howard, right? The first piano I ever bought was uh, made by the Baldwin Company, and it, the, it was an anglicized name. Uh, it was like a Kauai subsidiary, and it was called a Howard Piano, which mm. is my father's name. Actually, right. his real name in German is Helmut. He was Helmut <laughs> Joel, but right. um, his uh, anglicized name was Howard. And the first piano, I, grand piano I bought was when I was about 19, 20. I lived in a little apartment in Oyster Bay, and I got this piano. I slept under it. I was so thrilled to have a, a grand piano in my house. 
Well, think about that. I mean, the piano became your father in a sense, or or, or your connection to a father was sleeping next to that piano. It probably and, represented something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sad image. Does that make you sad? Does it make me sad? Sometimes uh, I never was felt any hostility. I mean, when he left, I was eight, and I never saw him until I was in my mid-20s again. Never heard from him, never got a call or a postcard or anything. But I, I missed having a father, but I didn't feel any hostility. I'm, I, I suppose there is some anger in, in there. Uh, I mean, I'm sure a shrink could get that out of me. Yeah. But um, I don't ever remember feeling hostility about it. It was That was how his life went. Uh, I, I have a, a particular empathy for him because his life was so difficult, as well as I do for my mother. Her life was difficult, too. Here's what makes me sad. Imagine the love affair he could have had with you, with your extreme talent. I mean, it's an amazing gift. In I, I even hate using the word gift because you worked at it, too. And it's, uh, it's, but, but imagine the bond between these two musicians, father and son, enjoying one another. Enjoying the, it, it, the playing of the piano. Yeah, that could have been a pleasant experience. Now, I have a half-brother uh, who is over 20 years younger than me, who is an opera conductor. He lives in Vienna. Hmm. Uh, and he's great conductor. Uh, he hasn't played uh, conducted in the States yet. But he's very talented. And my father got to bond with him because they, you know, he, he stayed with him in, in, in Austria. Uh, and that, and I saw that relationship happen, and I was very happy for my brother to have that relationship with my dad, which I didn't have. And I, but I happen to be very close with my brother too, even though he lives in Vienna. Really? So you you, yeah, you don't resent him? I, my, no, I love my brother. He's I love this guy. He's like a younger version of me, who I you know can kind of. T you know, go back to my youth and go, you know what? You don't want to do this. You want to watch out for this. So I'm the big brother here. I, I, I love it. And you never went through that kind of like, well, why did my father love this guy? You know, and why did he spend his life with this guy? And, and what was wrong with me that he wouldn't be with me? Uh, you, you can ask why forever. You know, you're never going right. to get the answers. You know, uh, the, 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 I feel like the Billy Joel story could be made into a movie. And uh, I'll tell you why. And this is the part I love. And I don't know that you talk about it a lot. But when you start playing piano and you start to get noticed and rock and roll starts to happen and things like that, the, the, Virginia, uh, this girl you knew in school, what was it? Fourth grade, you met Virginia, who was this cute girl in your school. Uh, maybe you had around third or fourth yeah. grade. Yeah. What was the moment like when Virginia who uh, you have a bit of a crush on at that point, you know, as, as we do when we're young. Virginia never noticed you. Virginia didn't pay much attention to you. You sit down at the piano, and what did you play, Hound Dog or something? I don't know what the hell you played. All of a sudden, her eyes, yeah, her eyes light up. Right, Billy? That's well, it. Th it was when I was in a band, because mm -hmm. I, I played piano before I was in a band, and this girl was in my primary school, uh, and then, but I didn't realize I liked girls until later on, maybe fifth grade, sixth grade. And by that time, Virginia when I started going to a private school. She was no longer in the same school. And that's when I realized, hey, I missed this girl. 
And I played at a church, and she had been going to Catholic school, I think, and she was in the audience when I was in this band, and I saw her again. And I said, oh, there's Virginia. And she was this cute girl, freckles, the whole Irish thing. And I had a crush on her, you know, that was in a different way than I when I was a little boy. I was now an adolescent. Right. And I said, hey, there's Virginia. She's checking me out. Uh, isn't she cute? She, I don't think she ever knew I had a crush on her. Uh, I, I was never, you know, bold enough to come out and say, hey, I have a crush on you. I like you. Let's let's go on a date or something. Never did verbalize that. When you started to get really famous, did Virginia ever show up at one of your shows? I was talking to Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters about this. He had an experience just like yours. And then years later, she shows up. They're playing some stadium, the Foo Fighters, or when he was in Nirvana. And this girl shows, she's like Virginia to him. She shows up, and now he, he's got her backstage. He's, you know, walking around like the king of the hill. And he sees her in the audience and, you know, you had this fantasy that one day she would see him in a stadium. He had, you know, and then it came true. There she was. Of course, she flipped him the bird and told him to fuck off. But, you know, <laughs> it was it, which is a great story. But but, uh, you know, th 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 that's the moment, right, that you live for. Wouldn't you love to see even today? Wouldn't you love to see Virginia in the audience mouthing every word to your songs? She actually came to a show. um, Long after uh, I started playing, you know, the big places and um, <clears throat> she already had a family. She was married. I was married. So we just met as old friends. Right. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think if there was any any of the girls that I had crushes on that showed up. First girl I ever kissed was named Joanne Lips. Believe it or not. <laughs> Joanne Lips. Joanne Lips. I didn't kiss her. She kissed me. Wow. We were sitting in, in the junior high auditorium, and this girl comes over and gives me a big, wet kiss for a couple of minutes. And I was really? shocked. Wow, so that's what kissing a girl is like. But she was the initiator of this. Uh, that was it. Where yeah, is Joanne Lips? Has she ever come to a show? I mean, you know, uh, why did she give you a kiss? Was it because she had seen you play? Like, in other words, did she, was she just, you were just Billy Joel, uh, a kid back then. Was it? Was there something going on? Were you a star in your school? In other words, when you walk through the halls and people go, that's the kid who plays the piano like a pro, uh, I would assume that no, you were... A, no. I, I was no big deal. I, I think she was just like a momentary thing for her that I want to kiss this guy, wow. kiss this boy, and she did. Um, the girl that I had really had a crush on was in my English class. Her name was Carol Mullally. And... I had this major question, and I think I used to stare at her, and <laughs> and I, but I did never had the nerve to even talk to her. And right. then she was passing notes with another girl, and the other girl showed me the notes. <laughs> I read one of the notes. The creep is still looking at me. <laughs> I was the creep. I was heartbroken. I said, oh, oh my God, she thinks I'm a creep. Oh God. But, you know, all that staring and longing, and it, I guess it creeped her out. So I never saw her again. Oh, so, uh, sorry, Carol. Her, <laughs> I have to apologize to Ruthland Kilroy. Wherever Ruthland Kilroy is, I I broke her heart. I I I I was not a good guy to her. This was when I was like eighteen or nineteen, and some she is somewhere. I hope. First girlfriend. I apologize, huh? What first well, girlfriend? One of my earliest girlfriends. Yeah. Um, I think I, I started going out with somebody else or I 
I did something to break her heart and I hurt her and I still feel bad about it. So this is my nationwide apology, wherever you are. That's a wonderful apology. I have people, I have to, like, I know what you're talking about when you're a young man, especially if you just don't know what you're doing. It, it's like, um, the way you break up is you stop calling or you go, uh, you know, like, like you don't even think you avoid. to be, uh, yeah, you're not even going to mention that, but you don't go, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not feeling the same way anymore. Uh, you know, you, you don't give anyone an explanation. You just go on and just figure nobody cares anyway. And, and, and there's so many breakups like that when you're young and you feel like it's yeah. just a tool when you think back on your life. It's a thoughtless time of life. Uh, there's so many things that are going on in your head when you, by the time you're 21, you're real, you're you, a mess. Do you ever go on Facebook and look up some of the people that either you had a crush on or who ignored you in high school or, or that you knew early on and now you just want to see how bad they look? I mean, I do this as a regular thing. <laughs> well, I know there's this thing, what is it, classmates or something? You're supposed to be able to track people down. <laughs> I don't even know how to do this. I'm so inept at right. uh, my laptop. I, all I know how to do is get email. I don't even, what do you call it? Uh, what's this called? Uh, texting? texting? I, don't, I don't text. I you don't think text. a piano player, I had a nimble fingers, but I don't text. There was one girl I tried to get a hold of uh, from my uh, junior high day, Glen Glenna Traurits. Beautiful girl. Uh, we broke up. I don't know why. I even wrote a song about her called Glenna Glide. And I tried to get in contact with her, but that was it. I never heard back from her. She probably thought I was a like a, a stalker or something. So I never heard back. Those I, girls, I, I don't. But those girls stay in your head. And I know when I got famous and I came back to New York and I was like now like a guy on the radio and I was well known. I want to, I thought I'd be contacted by every girl I ever knew. Who, of course, rejected me. And I thought, well, and I figured when you become Billy Joel, this huge, humongous rock, one of the biggest rock stars in the world, I just figured they all come out of the woodwork and say, oh, I was such a shithead. I should have, I should have, you know, I had, I, Billy, I should have been with you. I really fucked up. But you never get that moment. You never get anybody doing that. I did have a moment like that. I went to my 20th high school reunion, 20th year high school reunion. And I had just come back from the Soviet Union. And so there was a lot of press about me and all this stuff. And there were these two uh, two girls. They were twins. They were cute girls. And they came right over to me. Each one took an arm. And they were hugging me. And they were saying, ooh, I never met a millionaire before. And I thought, hey, this is <laughs> this is kind of cool, you know. Because they right. wouldn't look twice at me in school. Right. And, um uh th that was that moment and and then i uh, uh, you know after I, after that reunion i thought well it wasn't as thrilling as i thought it was going to be right yeah the fantasy is so much better it's so true yeah sometimes the want is better than the have you knew when you were in high school I i'm not going to college i have no interest in college but here's the thing that i learned about you that is so fascinating to me it never occurred as talented as you were and you were always playing in bands you were always making money uh, on the side, playing here and there, you know, maybe making a couple of bucks. But some high school teacher comes up to you, music teacher, I assume, and says, hey, Billy, you're really good. You could make a living being a musician. And you went like an epiphany. What? Oh, you mean yeah. I could really be for like I could find my place in the world being a musician. You had no concept 
that a musician, you know, it wasn't like nowadays. You saw the Beatles, the Stones, you see these guys, they're all making money as musicians. We didn't have that. You, all of a sudden, this guy says it to you, and you say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and make money as a musician. True. This was back in the day. This was like in the mid-60s. Uh, around the time the Beatles were becoming huge, but still it was being a musician was looked at as like a gypsy life. Uh, right. It was a one-in-a-billion shot for anybody to become successful. So this, who was my chorus teacher and my music history teacher, his name is Chuck Arnold, he now lives in Colorado. Uh, he also taught Lorraine Baracco. He, he, wow. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, Adina Menzel, the singer. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, who did our, our town hall thing, I think. How great was, by the yeah. way, but we got to stay on this topic, but that town hall, I've got pictures from it. I, I, I loved that experience. That has my, my, one of my favorite broadcasting moments. We, we went over to the cutting room. If Casey never heard this, you should check it out. We have it up on the app, I'm sure. Billy sat there. What were we? We sat for about three hours bullshitting, but different people came by and performed your music. What a magic for me. That was yeah. one of the best. And watching you, watching them perform your songs, no greater joy. And I, I can't imagine what that's like when you see other people performing your songs. It's got, it's got to just be just so great. And that was a really fun show. I, I still remember that. Um, I really do enjoy watching other people do my material because it's like my kids left home and went on to become successful on their own. Now they're independent. They're being sung by other people. It's become part of the fabric of life. Uh, that's, that's a real satisfying feeling. Um, by the way, speaking of that, I was, th I was listening to the Billy Joel channel on Sirius XM. And uh, every once in a while, I like when you do this, you'll play some of your favorite songs, not your songs. You'll play, you know, influences like a Cream song or a Jimi Hendrix song or the Beatles. I like when you do that. And Tom Morello has recently started doing something on Lithium where he's like a DJ. And he but he really talks about the love of these songs and what he was thinking during those songs. I would love to hear you do that. I could listen endlessly to you going through different influences and why you think these guys are good or bad. I, yeah, I've, I've done it with Lou Simon on my own show, on the Billy right. Joel channel. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, you started this particular show with Cream. Right. Uh, I feel free, bump, 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 bump. Bum, I actually have a song on my last album uh, of, of original songs, uh, uh, The River of Dreams, called Shades of Grey, which I was really channeling Cream. Um, ba 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 do wa ba ba do wa ba 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 do wa. You know that song? Yeah. Money, nothing funny, wasting the way. It was. It's called Shades of Grey. Ba 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 do wa. Because I loved Cream. I love Cream. I know a lot of people might have difficulty. How did he get from Cream to what he does on the piano? Uh, a lot of times I wished I was a real guitar player. I, I can play right. everything guitar. But I loved Cream. I loved Hendrix. I loved Zeppelin. I loved guitar bands. Um, here's one. Of, and here's one of your favorites that you love of Cream. White Room. <laughs> right. Great song. Great song. And you do that as a songwriter. You'll listen to somebody and you'll credit them. You'll say, "Hey, I was listening to that song and I decided I'm going to try and write a song that sounds like White Room, or or, or has some kind of vibe to it." Yeah. I mean, I'm a product of my influences. Nobody grows up in a test tube. 
I guess the problem with there it is. I guess part of the problem playing the piano is you can't really do a metal song, you know. But you were in a metal band, weren't you? When like uh, you had Attila, you had Attila. the Hassles. Attila was a metal band that you were in. We were trying to be a metal band. Uh, it was Hammond organ and drums. The Hammond organ was wired through these gigantic plush amplifiers, so it was all distorted. And I had a wah wah pedal and a fuzz box, but it was just a lot of noise. Um, so we, we, here's we, the... you, we went away from where you asked me about the music teacher. Yeah, this music uh, teacher says to you, you can be a musician. And it never occurred to you before that you could I, be. One. I didn't really think about how was I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to do something with music. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it with a band or on my own or as a writer or as an arranger, or as a producer, something music. And this course teacher chuck arnold said you're good enough to be a professional musician right you could probably be a, a musician uh when you're out of school and i said wait a minute wait a minute you mean i could make a living I, 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 that could be my job and, and for a grown-up to say that to me when i was about 15 was was an epiphany that was like you know paul on the road to tarsus boom wait, wait a minute i could that could be my career. That could be my job. And it opened up the entire world for me. And I, I credited this music teacher, teacher with that epiphany. Explain something to me. At 15, 15 years old, you get your first recording contract. You actually signed a contract with a, with a recording company. Is that correct? Yeah, that was with Mercury Records. Unbelievable. In the Lost what? Souls, yeah. Yeah, well, wait a second. Wait, so you're in high school, right? You're 15, and you sign a recording contract with the Lost Souls. I mean, how are you not the most popular guy in high school? If I knew some kid in high school who had a recording contract, I don't understand how you weren't the bell of the ball starting back then. Well, because our recordings weren't hit records. They were pretty bad. Um we weren't really the best band in the world. We were just another garage band playing at school dances. In those days, in the 60s, after the Beatles came out, they were signing everybody. <laughs> Come on, signing, though. <laughs> they didn't sign me. Sign I know that. They if he could sing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, he's got long hair. He could sing. Great. Sign him. Sign him up. We'll get him. But, but what, uh, what was it like? You go home to your mother and you go, Mom, you're not going to believe this. I just signed a recording contract. My mom uh, said, you ain't signing any contract till I have a lawyer look at it. And, uh, Mom, I want to sign the contract. Don't talk about lawyers. And it's probably not even a legal contract because I was 15. My signature right. wasn't legal. <laughs> I just can't imagine what that's like. You said uh, those early years were wild. Like, you, you realize now that... that, that uh, you were playing parties for like the Gambino family. Like you take a gig wherever you could get one. You'd play at a church for $15. You'd play here, you'd play there. And you would do private parties. And yes. you said it's like the Gambino, like literally the Gambino family. And you guys were such assholes. You would sit there and try to make out with all their daughters. And, yes. and, and, you, and they would have killed you. I mean, who knows what you were doing? <laughs> We had no idea who these people were. They, they kept asking us to play at their parties. They lived in Queens, and uh, they had a really nice house in Queens in, in, in a typical Queens development. And in the house, it looked like everything came off the back of a truck. Uh, it, was, it was what we call ungapach. 
Everything right. was very ungapach, a lot of gold and a lot of, you know, brass and a, a lot of <laughs> weird fixtures. So we'd play at these people's. We didn't know. These were like the good fellas. These are the people who hit, who did the Lufthansa heist. And they'd always, they'd pay us with like a big pile of money. It wasn't a check. It was here. Here's the money. And they just right. threw money at us. And we'd be, you know, taking a break and we'd be trying to make out with these girls who were the daughters of Goodfellas. Wow. We could have been killed. We had no idea. <laughs> Imagine if that were. had been your life. Oh, my God. It's well, just all we so know funny. is they loved to have us, and they gave us a lot of money. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, you yeah. know, uh, what an unbelievable... It really is an unbelievable life you've had. I mean, what music has, like, sort of exposed you to and the experiences you had. But you never, you never said to yourself, I'm going off to college... Uh, you just kind of saw it. Did you graduate high school even? I don't even think you bothered with that. I didn't graduate high school. No uh, I got a diploma in 92, but I was supposed to graduate with the class of 67, which I, I, I didn't have enough credits. <clears throat> I just didn't show up for a couple of the classes. I was working at night in the band. You know, bars stay open in New York till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And that's how long I worked. Who could wake up at 7? I couldn't get up. So I would miss the first couple of classes. And by the last year of high school, I was already tuned out of school. I wasn't, I wasn't worried about going to college. Which is funny because I know you now uh, somewhat. Uh, but, uh, you are a guy who loves to read books. You love the history channel. You, you know, you're, you're addicted to learning and I bet you have regrets, right? You probably look back and say, yeah, you know, I should have probably paid attention back then. It would have been satisfying. Well, the regret I have is that I didn't study my instrument well enough. Uh, my, all my piano teachers used to yell at me, your, your mother's wasting the money. You haven't practiced. You're never going to be any good. Uh, it's a waste really? of your mom's money. Oh yeah. They would ream me out, huh. uh, for not practicing and not learning the pieces. I didn't want to read the dots after a certain age. I got to be 16. I said, I don't want to read anybody else's dots. I want to write my own dots. Right. So I didn't, didn't really put my nose to the grindstone and I wish I had because it would have been another tool in the toolbox to help me to create music. The more tools you have, the better you can do it. Um, I mean, I stopped writing songs because I couldn't be better than I, as good as I wanted to be. It became hmm. too aggravating, it became too frustrating, so I stopped. Yeah, I never, you know, we've talked about Elton John before saying, you know, hey, you, Billy, you should write more uh, songs. And you go, hey, Elton, you should stop writing so many songs. You know, I've heard that story before, but... You know, I, I do sometimes get frustrated thinking, like, why doesn't Billy just write some songs? But you it, it, you, say, you say it's just it. It's, it just left you. It just It's something you didn't want to do anymore. And, uh, you know. You have to want to. You have to have the desire to write songs. I love music, so I never stopped writing music. Right. Uh, it's instrumental music. But I stopped writing lyrics because... I got tired of that particular format. Uh, to me, music is enough now. Uh, mm. I became more comfortable with abstract form. Uh, so hearing music d does it for me. It satisfies me. But if, if I have an idea for a song, I'm not going to stop myself. I just haven't had the desire to do it. Yeah, the songwriting process, whenever I talk to someone of, of your level of accomplishment, it just sounds like it's... Uh... You know, sometimes like with New York State of Mind, you say you came to you in 20 minutes. It was like a gift. Like, boom, you're sitting on a bus and 20 minutes. There it is. New York State of Mind. Beautiful fucking song. 
uh, and you go, oh, my God, where did that come from? But it sounds like most of the time it is a it is a aggravating puzzle that you constantly have to figure out. Even you've done it before and you've written hit songs. I got to go back and it's like starting all over again. And that's the frustration. Yeah, it can be a grind. Uh, Sometimes I look at the piano and it's this big black beast with 88 (laughs) teeth that wants to bite my fingers off. I sit there and I go and I try and I please help me something. And you get, and you come up with nothing. It's the most frustrating feeling in the world because you want to be productive you want to create something and it doesn't always come to you like a bolt out of the blue it's you don't always get that promethean moment like i did with new york state of mind um and it, it, the, the the worst thing about songwriting is the struggle i love having written i hate writing so you're sitting on a bus and you know you hear the complete song in your head, the w- lyrics and the music in your head, and you run home and, like, I guess, you know, write it down or record something, right? That's how it works. I can't imagine what that's like. Is it like listening to the radio and hearing a song and then you go, oh, is that somebody else's song or is that my song? Or what? I mean, how does that work? You're sitting there. And sometimes I can hear radio shows in my head. It's the weirdest thing. I actually hear me doing a radio show. Is that what it, what it sounds like to you in your head? It all comes to you internally. It's not something you need to hear externally through your ears. It's from the inside out. Uh, think about it. Beethoven was deaf. Right. How could he possibly have written those symphonies when he was deaf? These incredibly gorgeous symphonies. It had to come from inside his head. So it's the same situation with composing music a lot of times you got it inside your head you hear it before you've externally heard it and then you flesh it out you know by playing it on something but Beethoven never could second guess himself I mean I can hear on this song that you're doing your Ray Charles sort of impersonation you're giving it that kind of Ray Charles vibe I hear it and I've even seen you perform it where you put on the shades and you know you're almost uh, dare I say, pretending to be blind in a weird way. I don't know if I'm that's feeling the like that. Yeah, and and uh, it's it's really remarkable that you can channel in like that and say, "Hey, I'm going to do my Ray Charles thing here." And and you heard this song on a bus. It's just it's mind blowing to those of us who are not musicians. I yeah, I, I always think of other people doing my songs. Early, early on in my recording career, I wanted to just be a songwriter. Right. And not a recording artist, not a singer, not a performer, just a songwriter for other people. Because I never liked my own voice. I'm this white kid from Hicksville, and I I sounded like a Long Island kid, and I didn't want to sound like that. I wanted to sound like Ray Charles. I wanted to sound like... Uh, uh, Rod Stewart. I right. wanted to sound like uh, Robert Plant, Dream, Hendrix. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, uh, the the Beatles, the Stones, anybody but me. Wow. Um, so, and I've often been accused of being a, a mimic uh, or um, derivative. Yes, I'm derivative. I'm derivative as hell. And a matter of fact, if being derivative 
disqualified you from being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, there wouldn't be any white people there because <laughs> all right. they did was happy, copy black music. That's what rock what, and roll came from. Come on, Billy. What What was the song you wrote where you said I I envisioned being Mick Jagger uh, singing to his girlfriend? What was the song that you did? Oh, that was Big Shot. Big Shot. Uh, and you said, yeah. yeah. You wrote it from the point of view of some guy wakes up with a hangover. He's looking in the mirror and you're saying, now I'm Mick Jagger looking at myself and, and like just kind of uh, you're channeling him, right? I just pictured him yelling at Bianca Jagger uh, <laughs> after they went out and she had too much to drink or something. It was my own, you know, it's a fantasy. fantasy. This is based on anything real. But there you go. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I hear it. <laughs> when you sing that in concert, do you think consciously of Mick Jagger? Do you go, hmm? I, I'm actually thinking, don't sound too much like Mick Jagger. Because it's oh. so easy to fall into that. Right. Uh, I, I have to be Billy Joel at, at times. <laughs> you got to be yourself. It is weird. Like you can you can channel it, and then after a while, it does become your own song. You know, I read such a great thing about. Um, I know I'm jumping around here, but um, uh, the prelude on Angry Young Man. I never knew this. You've said that, and now I get it when I listen to it. You're playing Wipeout, the song Wipeout, the drum solo yes. on your yes. on your piano keys, and I you went, have Wipeout oh, there? well, hell, I, I'll, I'll, Fred, pull up Wipeout, but. Here, I'm going to play the prelude, okay? Okay. Huh. I'm like, how do you do that so fast? But it's Wipeout. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, you're real. And when I see you do it in concert, I mean, you're hammering those keys like a drummer. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, Fred, you got wipe out there? See if you can pull it up real fast. <laughs> I tried playing that a million times. There it is. What a song. Oh, wow. So every kid, I think every kid in my class was trying to play Wipeout on the desk before the class started, before the teacher got in the room. Everybody's going, right. yeah. hey, look, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was a drummer because I'd go. You know, it's like, oh, I, hey, I'm good. There you go. <laughs> oh, you did it, too. Oh, oh please. Constantly. Constantly. Well, do, and I thought it, so all you do is pick one note on the piano and play it with two two fingers. Same thing. Wow. Yeah, it's that easy. You see, I could have written that song if I had only known that. There you go. Um, you know, one of my, my favorite songs off of uh, Street Life Serenade is The Entertainer. But you said you wrote that on a guitar. How different is it writing a song uh, on guitar than piano? Or is there really a difference? There is a difference. Um, the physics of the guitar... Uh, make it, uh, they, they force you to play 
in certain physical ways that you wouldn't play on a piano. Uh, the entertainer goes, zhang, 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 zhang. It's kind of like a folk, uh, rhythm. Zhang, 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 zhang. It's a natural way to move your hmm. arm when you have a guitar in your hands, uh, where you wouldn't play zhang, zhang on a piano. So yeah. it's, it's not that it forces you to, it just, Lean, it leans that way. Uh, a piano, there's certain rhythms that are, that come natural because of the layout of the keys and the physics of the piano. A guitar, you can play, and you can't do that on a piano. You can play, it's like if I tried to play Led Zeppelin on a piano, it would sound stupid. And you, you would never write that stuff on a piano, but you would write it on a guitar. So the you physics know, dictate what you, what you write. I have a thought like like, um, you know, part of like, I think why you don't write uh, any new like songs that, that with lyrics and everything is I realize so much of your music is about real life. And like like even like when you the years you sat in a bar and played and you got to observe people and, and write about them, in a sense, you become so successful and and by necessity reclusive that you don't interact the same way with people anymore. You're more observed than you can observe, be the observer. And maybe that's why it becomes hard, too. Uh, well, I, I, yeah, I wrote myself out of the narrative. Right? Yeah. I mean, in a sense, you're, you're pretty isolated. It's not like yeah. you... Some, some guy called in this morning. He said, um, I forget, he saw you um, at your house uh, sitting there and uh, playing an accordion or something uh, on the roof or, or something like that. So you do try to mingle. You you mingle way more than I do. But still, wherever you go, people are like, oh, there's Billy Joel. And that kind of ruins the moment. You can't go out and observe anyone. I can't be the fly on the wall anymore. No. Right. Um, my observations of, of life are in a from a bubble. Look, I, I recognize I've been very fortunate in my life. I live in this rock star bubble. I do. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I have friends who don't. But uh, it's... It's not something I would write about anymore. Um, it, it's not as interesting to me as that other kind of life was. Uh, I, I like my life. I, I enjoy my life. But that has nothing to do with, like, the rest of the world anymore. Billy, why? Why? I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, but I'm curious. Has any um, uh, buddy, young guys or whatever coming up come to you and said, Billy, I want you to produce my, my music I want you to, uh, would you, would you help me write my song? I can't figure out the hook here. D don't they seek you out these guys to, to sort of help them maybe with a melody or something like that in a studio? Yeah. From time to time, a, a, a younger artist will ask if I'm interested in co-writing with them or helping to produce them or coming up with something new, uh, men and women writers. Right. Um, uh, but I, I always beg off. I, I, I'm not Why? interested in doing that. Why not though? Wouldn't that be fun for you? I mean, in a sense, you're, you're a very good teacher. I've been around you. You like mentoring people. You like explaining the business to them. Why not? Why not have some like fun with helping, that? I like helping people and I like being able to guide people, uh, to avoid making the same mistakes I made, but I don't want to get hooked into having to write again when if it's not my own idea or if it's not something I want to do, I'm not going to do it because it turns out it's not going to be very good if I don't want to do it. It's not going to be there, real. 
Was there? Yeah, it's true. But was there ever a point in your career? I was thinking. I was watching the Traveling Wilburys, and uh, I thought that was a pretty damn good supergroup. Was there ever some moment in your career where I don't know, maybe George Harrison came to you, or maybe uh, McCartney himself came to you, or somebody came to you and said, "Let's do a thing where you know we're all accomplished guys. We'll all do our thing." And, and and make some kind of supergroup. I would think you'd be the guy they would come to for something like that. Uh, it's there's a few people. Um, uh, Hall and Oates, uh, John Oates asked me to go out collaborate with him, but I couldn't figure out what to do. This is a long time ago. This is almost thirty right. years ago. Right. Uh, Bert Bacharach wanted me to write a song with him, but he wanted me to write the words. Now, I'm the hmm. guy who writes the music first. I, I don't write lyrics off the, off the cuff like Bernie Taupin does with Elton. Right. Um, I have to have the music first. So Burt Backrack was trying to explain this musical idea he had. The guy can't sing. The guy can write like nobody's business. He can write right. great songs, but he can't sing. And he sings like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm listening going, what the hell are you doing? What right. does that mean? <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't get it. And I, I, I couldn't finish the project. The only person I've actually really ever collaborated with was Cindy Lauper. Hmm. Uh, I was stuck on a song. The name of the song is Code of Silence. So right. I'm already... You know, it's already difficult. Coda, how do you write about silence? Right. Uh, without it being sounds of silence. And uh, <laughs> so Cindy says, she sees me in the studio. She goes, you're really having a tough time with these words, aren't you? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, just you play the song and just throw out some words when, you, when you're playing and I'll make some sense out of it and we'll figure it out. And Cindy, I don't want to do this. No, 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 you go ahead. You know, she was like a, you know, the queen's chick pushing me to do something. Come on, you can do it, Billy. Come on, come on. Let's figure this out. So we came up with these lyrics. I gave her credit. She's, I think, the only other co-writer I was ever able to work with because she did all the work. Wow. Uh, do you get annoyed? Other... Oh, go ahead. The only other, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. You were saying oh, the, the only other, only other uh, writer I gave credit to, to uh, on a collaboration was Ludwig von Beethoven because I stole <laughs> a piece of his music. But I gave him credit. I didn't pay him, but I, I gave him credit. <laughs> you know, when you were just talking about Burt Bacharach, I'm saying, you know, like, like you're so fortunate in a way that not only can you compose, but you can sing. You can sing. You know, that's another gift which people, you know, take for granted. Could you imagine the frustration? If you had been like Burt Bacharach, if you wrote these beautiful songs and you couldn't sing them yourself, that you had to get, you know, Roger Daltrey to sing them or, or get Dionne a bunch Warwick. of guys. Yeah, Dionne Warwick to sing. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't that have been a major frustration for you? I think I would have been okay as really? long as other people were doing the material that I wrote. Because like I said, when I started out, I just wanted to be a songwriter. And the right. advice I got was, well, this is the singer-songwriter era. you got to remember, this is the early 70s, late 60s, when singer-songwriters were all the rage. James Taylor, Jackson Brown, Jimmy Webb, Carole King, uh, Harry Chapin. Uh, who's the guy who did Bad, Bad, Leroy Brown? Oh, uh, 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 Jim Croce. Uh, Jim, yeah, Jim Croce. Jim Croce. Right. Uh, there were a lot of singers, songwriters. So I was told you should make your own album. Now it so happens I can carry a tune and I don't sing out of pitch, 
But I don't think I'm a very good singer. Oh, I'm not a singer on. like, no, Ray oh. Charles is a good singer. Nat King Cole is a great singer. Sam Cooke is a great singer. Marvin Gaye is a great singer. Rita Franklin was a great singer. Me, I don't, I don't really? care for my voice that much. Uh, you, you really don't. You, you, you no. listen to the, uh, so, so when you listen back to a record, you say, oh, okay, were you, were you pained when you would record a lot of albums and say, no, let's do it again, let's do it again, let's do it again because you were so critical of your own voice? Well, no, I, I hated doing it again and again. If I did, I had to do a song more than three times in the recording studio. I hated the song. I started to hate it. Yeah. It's like, I, I will not chew gum in class when you have to write that on a blackboard 500 times. Uh, so, having to so sing maybe, a song over and over again, I hated it. So maybe this explains, like, I, I know it's legendary. When you first put out Cold Spring Harbor, that was your first album. And then the, somebody at the record company completely fucked up and they, and it was sped up. It was at the wrong speed. So as a guy who doesn't love his own voice, that first time when you heard, you know, uh, Cold Spring Harbor, She's Got Away, you were probably completely freaked out. Did they, did they, did, did they speed up my voice because they didn't like it or something? Like, were you paranoid? Listen how beautiful. Oh, what a song. Are you in pain hearing this? Yes. Oh, it's so beautiful. Hate my voice on this song. I don't know yeah, really? But there doesn't have to be a reason. Shut up! <laughs> really? You hate that person? I feel like John Belushi in Animal House. I want to smash him over the head with a guitar. Really? God, you see? Oh, if I could sing like that. But I have Wow! I'm torturing you, aren't I? If I want, would hell. What is your version of hell? They play that song over and over again, and uh, yes. hearing my voice speeded up like a chick bump. That's uh, my version of hell. Uh, when I first got the a copy after it had been speeded up, I had this acetate. They used to call them an acetate, yeah. and I pulled it off the turntable and threw it down the street like a frisbee. I said, "That sucks." Did you and call the guy at the record company? Did you call the yeah, guy at the record company? What the hell happened to my voice? Yeah. And it, no, no, it's already been pressed and it's out and it's too late and that's the end of that. Oh, man. Oh, but was the that, song, be, the, the song became a. Goodfellas. Well, yeah. something happened and uh, we feel bad about it and he's gone. And, right. and that's it. And that's all there is. <laughs> but you got to put the song out in uh, Songs in the Attic and then you liked it better, right? I mean, you got to. Well, I got to do it at the right speed, and I got to do it with my own natural voice, right. which I still don't. I still don't care for it too much. I, I, I don't you, think of myself as a singer. I'm a piano player. Will you do this song in concert, or like when you play the Garden coming up? Would you do this song in concert and and be happy with sometimes, it? Sometimes, sometimes we do it. Uh, sometimes we do it, but as I'm singing, and I get to some of the verses, and I thought that could have been written better. That could have been. I'm wow. Always, self-criticizing as I go along. Like, I hey, think hey. there's some songs I wrote that I think are really good, and there's some stuff I wrote that's okay, and there's some stuff I wrote that sucks. Uh, I, can't, I can't help it. I'm, I'm my own worst critic. Talk to me about, for, for a second about this song, um, You're My Home. Uh, the reason I'm asking about it is uh, you were very gracious at my wedding. You, you played this when I got married. Uh, and Beth even said to me, well, why did Billy pick that song? This is the song, by the way. Um, I know a lot of people love this song. This is their favorite Billy Joel song. Uh, I, you know, it's just a great song. But uh, I, I guess we were curious. My 
beautiful song. Didn't you ask me for this one? No, you got up and did this. Did Beth ask me for this one? No, she doesn't know why. I swear, we 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 were. You just got up and you know I didn't want to bug you, but you said, uh, "Hey, I'm going to get up and do something for you guys." And um, yeah, and Phoebe Snow was there, and uh, there was a lot of musicians there at my wedding. And and you got up and did this, and I was like, my, wow. My memory was that somebody requested that particular song at your wedding. That that was wow. one of your favorite songs. Maybe somebody else knew it was one of your favorites and told me. Maybe Phoebe Snow asked me. Maybe. I don't remember. But for some reason, that's the song I do, which I wouldn't have done normally. Uh, you know, just off the cuff. Um, I was actually thinking of Gordon Lightfoot when I wrote that song. You know Gordon Lightfoot? Yeah, of course Ooh. I know Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. Canadian what do you mean? You, 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 you were channel. What song in particular were you thinking about? Um, if you could read my mind, love, what uh. a tale my thoughts would tell. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of uh, Don Quixote. I love Gordon Lightfoot. He's one of my favorite right. singers. But I was thinking this would be a great song for Gordon Lightfoot to do when I was writing it. Yeah, there he is. It's Gordon. I love how you do that. Like, you think of Gordon, and you go, hey, hmm, what would Gordon do here? And then you come up with your own song. It's it's really quite a remarkable process. Well, I, I create what I want to hear. Uh, I've been asked, who are you writing for? Are you writing for an audience? Are you writing for radio? Are you writing for critics? Are you writing for the record company? Are you writing to make money? No, I'm writing what I want to hear. Right. Uh, sometimes I try to recreate the Beatles because they broke up and I can't hear the new Beatles anymore. Sometimes right. I want to hear a Gordon Lightfoot song, so I'll write my own. Sometimes I want to hear Cream. Sometimes I want to hear Hendrix. Sometimes I want to hear Zeppelin. Uh, sometimes, you know, it, it's, it's just I write what I want to hear. What do I want to hear? Maybe it's selfish, but that's how I write. No, I think that's great. I think that any true artist writes for themselves. Like when I when I read about painters, great painters, they never responded to the thing of the day oh gee everybody wants a landscape i'll paint landscape the greats painted what they felt in their heart would move them and that's what you're describing tell me about now now captain jack you've been very critical of this song which i can't even believe it's one of my favorite songs you ever wrote and when you you know it's just a a, a monumental achievement captain jack and you say ah eh, this song it's kind of depressing and dreary. I don't think it's one of my best. Is, is that accurate? It's dreary. It's two chords for a long time. F. E flat, seven. F major. B flat, seven. I hate too much repetition. F. Ooh, a chord change. Hey, ooh, another chord change. <laughs> wow, what a relief. Now, here we go back to the dreary. So you go to F. the village in your, in your tie-dye Really? And you stare at the How about when the song really kicks in? That doesn't excite you? Well, the, the chorus, you mean. Like Captain Jack will get you high tonight. Get you high tonight, yeah. That's about Long Island kids, right? Who just kind of dreary life and they get high and then all of a sudden they've got this excitement, right? <laughs> You're goofing on this song right now. I mean, I can't even believe it. Come on. First of all, this song, this song, Billy, 
here you were, you did your first record for that shitty record company. Uh, they fucked up the audio, everything. You run off to L.A. You even go under the name uh, Bill Martin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can't use your name. And you're, and you're working in some, you know, shitty bar. Everyone can't even believe you're at the bar. And somehow you had done a recording of this song live. Somebody recorded it. Clive Davis. Philadelphia. Yeah. There you go. And Clive Davis, here's the recording that you did of Captain Jack. And he signs you immediately. He has to have you on his label. That's a pretty good fucking song. I mean, that's, that's kind of one of those lucky break songs, you know, well, Captain Jack. I'm wondering if, if that's what happened. I, I know somebody saw me at some festival in 72 called the Mary Soul Festival in Puerto Rico in the middle of some frickin' jungle where <laughs> kids were getting sunstroke and insect bites and then pissing out and all kinds of drugs going on. And we came on and I did a Joe Cocker song and I looked like Joe Cocker and I had a football jersey and Joe Cocker was supposed to do this festival. So we weren't really going over that well. I said, let's do the Joe Cocker song. Hey, you feeling all right? And I did my Joe Cocker. <laughs> the crowd rushes to stage. <laughs> it's Joe Cocker. And we went, went down great. You know, everybody thought, hey, great. Because maybe not a lot of people were that familiar with Joe Cocker. And then we walked off the stage, got an ovation. Hey, and then we came back and did a uh, uh, little help from my friends. Anyway, somebody, somebody saw me at that festival. So we got to sign that guy. Because that's huh. the story I heard. Maybe it was somebody from Columbia Records who said you got to sign the Or maybe it was Clive hearing Captain Jack. But Captain Jack, okay, it's about suburban kids who go score smack because uh, that's their big, you know, thrill in life is just getting high on heroin, which I, I never understood. But it's me. I'm kind of preachy in the song. I'm being judgmental. I'm hmm. making fun of this poor kid picking his nose. You know, and jerking off yeah. at home. And, yeah. I, and I, I, I hear the lyrics and I say, who the hell are you to be judgmental? You know, I've had issues with drinking. You know, I, I, I'm not perfect. Uh, right. You know, who are you to preach at people? And then I, I do like the music part that goes, boom, da, da, ding, boom, boom. I thought that was uh, interesting. But I have to, having done this song so much, I have demoted him from Captain Jack to Private Jack. Really? But you'll do, but people want to hear that song in contrast, I assume. So if you, if you're doing the garden, by the way, I should, I should mention, Billy, there's a couple of things going on as we're going through your catalog here and hopping all around all your music. Uh, Billy returns for his monthly residency at the garden on November 5th. Um, Billy Joel, the vinyl collection. Volume one will be available next Friday. Did you know that? That your vinyl collection is coming out? You didn't have any idea. Uh, uh, I heard something about this vinyl collection, yeah. Yeah, that, but that's uh, pretty exciting. Sony, Sony put together. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's thrilling. Well, let me, no, no, don't be cavalier about it, but would you care about vinyl at all? I mean, do you sit at home and yeah, with a yeah, record player? Oh, you do? I like vinyl. I do like vinyl. I have, I have new, new turntables now, and I'm psyched about vinyl, Yes. So you sit like at home going and, back there. You really and and you sit at home and you take out uh, an album and you'll put it on and you'll and you'll play it. That's what you do. Yes. I like the analog sound. Uh, there's something about it that's warm and maybe it's familiar that uh, I was I, I doing like, this I was doing the stats, man. It is I, I should pull them out. It is really quite incredible 
the I'm talking about the amount of out 150 million albums sold. Uh, they said you're the third most successful selling solo artist of all time in the history of the world. Uh, the 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 33 consecutive top 40 hits, six Grammys, Kennedy Center honoree. Is that fun? The Kennedy Center thing or uh, yeah, that was fun. That it was, was fun. Cool. Very Who else very was there? cool. Who was up there? With uh, you? Herbie Hancock was there with me. Shirley wow. MacLaine was there. Um, that was a, that was a fun. I got to meet the Obamas. Uh, right. We got to go to the White House. Uh, that was a fun night. Absolutely. But listen to this. November 5th will be your 74th show on this run at the residency of the Madison Square Garden. Can you imagine? What does that thing hold? 20,000 seats or something like that? Yes, yeah, 20,000 seats. When it's sold <laughs> you out. played there 74 times every time sold out. Well, actually, we played there almost 120 times. Wow. Uh, that's oh. just 70. In this particular run, it's 74 oh. consecutive shows till we've gotten interrupted by the COVID. Right. Yeah. But oh, a total, it's, a, it's like 120. Uh, I, I heard the biggest rush for you. And this has got to be any guy from Long Island. Instead of schlepping into uh, Manhattan from Long Island, you get on the helicopter. You're there in 15 minutes to your gig. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you're laughing. It's pretty funny, right? It's so cool because remember in the movie Hard Day's Night? Yeah. The finale of the movie is they actually take off in a helicopter. The Beatles get into a helicopter. It's the ultimate rock and roll exit. So that's what I do to go to the garden. I take, I get in a helicopter and they fly me to New York City. It takes me longer to get from the helipad in New York City to the garden than it does from my house in Long Island to New York City. It's unbelievable. That's when you feel like a rock star, like you made it, when you're helicoptering into the gig, right? It's such a rush. It's a thrill. I'm looking at the skyline of New York lit up at night. It's so beautiful. It's so magnificent. And I'm flying over the city, and I see the garden from the air. Oh, please don't let this thing fall down. You know, there's, there's that thrill, too. With the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll helicopter scare the shit out of me. Yeah, me too. I'm yeah. scared. And you have two pilots, right? I mean, not just one. That's two pilots, two engines, two... Voters, uh, to, to, yeah, redundant <laughs> everything. Your backstage ritual when you do The Garden or any other show, it's pretty simple. Like uh, in your writer, I think Elton John once said uh, when he used to tour with you that in your writer it was like popcorn and deli food. And uh, that was it. You know, he said it looked like the back of a deli when, in, when he <laughs> went into your room. Is it still like that? Or now that you've lost the weight and you're watching what you eat, are you doing a, 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 a stricter backstage regimen? Well, I never ate food before a show anyway. So right. all of the food that was in my dressing room, it was slabs of deli meat or uh, popcorn. That was for guests. I never right. eat before a show. Uh, Why? Because you can't go on stage with a full stomach. You, you, right. you can't be digesting food while you're trying to sing. It's, it, it doesn't work. Uh, you need to be hungry. You need to be uh, digestion-free. Uh, you need to have as much room in your thorax and your abdomen for your lungs to go up and down. And you need to be a little bit angry because you're hungry. You need that edge. <laughs> yeah. You want to go on stage like, I'm hungry, and you people probably ate already. So, damn it. And it gives you that, ah, you know, that edge to get to do the show. 
I'm going to tell my audience something that um, I'm sure you've never spoken about, but I happen to know because I know your wife and uh, Beth knows your wife. But um, during COVID, I, first of all, was it aggravating for you during COVID that you couldn't perform or did you welcome the rest? It was kind of aggravating. Uh, right. Part of it was aggravating. Part of it was very enjoyable because I got to be home with my kids for a long time. I got to know them. I got to hang out with them, which a lot of parents, a lot of fathers don't get to do that right. much because they have to go to work and they're away from the kids all day. I was with the kids a lot. And I, you know, at my age to have young children is a totally different thing than when you're young, younger. Um uh, I, I, it's so much joy going on with these young children. Um, on the it's other not hand, exhausting. It's not exhausting. It's exhausting. It's, it's gotta be. It's yes. Totally exhausting. Cause I'm a grandfather age. I take right. the kids to school and other parents go, Oh, your grandchildren are beautiful. So I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Right. Yeah. No, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, no, I am there, that age. But there, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, sometimes I think about you and I go, I wonder how Billy's doing. I mean, really doing with having two young kids at home because, uh, it's tough. It's tough. It can, it, is. it can be tough, but it, it's, there's also a lot of joy involved. But also there was a lot of aggravation. You're stuck. You can't go anywhere. You're paranoid about seeing people. You can't have people over. You can't go over their place. You're stuck in the house. I got a nice house. I'm very fortunate. I right. have a nice house, so being home isn't that bad. But uh, after a while, it became like I got cabin fever. I got to get out of here. I got to go somewhere. I got to do something. But I think it's like that for a lot of people with COVID. Did you hop on the motorcycle during COVID and just get out and uh, ride around? Yes, motorcycles and boats. That yeah. was my getaway because you could be okay on a boat. You're not going to get COVID on a boat unless you go on with a bunch of people. And a motorcycle, you you wear a helmet, you're isolated from the rest of the world. Uh, yeah, you must was, love that because you can go out, you're not recognized with that helmet on. And right, the, uh, you're anonymous, right. Yeah, and, and by the way, when you take a boat, you're not taking out a crew. I mean, you're, you're, you know how to ro operate a boat. I mean, you really know what you're doing on a boat. So it's kind of liberating, I guess. It's a freedom. Yes, there is a freedom to it, absolutely. Well, the thing I was getting at, and uh, maybe you don't want to talk about this, but uh, during COVID, uh, I happen to know this because I know your wife. She said that you guys paid your band. That um, a lot of I had heard. I know a lot of musicians. Some people didn't pay uh, their bands, but your band, you paid them for the whole what year or two that you were off the road. Um, that's something very. I mean, I think that's a that shows what a good guy you are. I mean, that's a genuine. Um, uh, act of uh, gratitude to your band and showing a good, you know, and it shows them good faith. I imagine they were kind of startled by that. Well, I, I did pay them full salary for a year. Uh, I, I have a great band. I'm so happy to have them on stage. I'm so happy that they stay with me when I go out and I do gigs. I don't do right. as many gigs as I used to do, but there they are. Um, and I, back in the day when I had some money issues, I wasn't able to take care of the band the same way I am now. Right. Um, I wasn't able to compensate them. And, uh, I wanted to take care of the band. So, uh, I didn't want to, you know, blow my horn about it, but it was no, I didn't want to embarrass you by saying it, but I'm saying it because I think it's a good lesson that, uh, people of your stature who have the money, um, 
it's the right thing to do, is it not? And 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 maybe a good, you know. Did any musicians come to you and say, "Hey, gee, I don't know what to do." I'm talking about famous musicians who have money. Gee, I don't know what to do. I'm not touring. I don't know if I should pay my band. I mean, did, did those kind of conversations go on? Because you're talking millions of dollars, right? I'm talking about if you pay a full band, you're talking millions and millions of dollars that you have yes. to shell out. Yeah, yeah, it, it was millions, uh, but. I didn't really have conversations with other musicians about how, you know, they were working with their musicians. I just did it uh, myself. I, I want to take care of these guys because musicians really took it on the chin. They couldn't, we couldn't work. We couldn't perform. We couldn't appear anywhere. We couldn't right. get jobs. Uh, we were like one of the last people on the totem pole. I think after sports figures, right. uh, we had to wait for all these venues to open and clear people to get in. It's still, up in the air whether a lot of these venues are going to be available to us or not, whether people are going to wear masks, whether there's a vaccine passport. Uh, we're still waiting on some venues to see if we're going to be able to work or not. So it's well, very the iffy. Yeah, the concert you have coming up at the Garden, though, that's that you got to be vaxxed, right, to get in. Yes. Uh, I assume yep. you want that. I mean, you have uh, to prove you know. at least double vaccine. Right. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and that's the very least. You have to do that. Uh, and I, I don't think. know if Maybe people are going to wear masks too. Mm -hmm. uh, if you know, look, if I had to wear a mask for for two and a half, three hour concert, I don't know if I'd want to go somewhere. So that right. affects ticket sales, right? Um, and and people got to be paranoid. Am I, does the person next to me have uh, coronavirus? There's there's a lot of ifs. It's very very iffy. It still is, and this right. variant is throwing a monkey wrench into the whole thing. Yep, so yeah, yeah, sure is. Yeah, right. Well, you know, I uh, well, I applaud you for doing that. I, I, I just think it's such a, a magnanimous gesture to say to your band, look, man, you guys are covered. Um, and I know a lot of musicians aren't doing that. What about how are you going to determine the set list? These days? Like when I go, th I was going through your catalog last night and I'm, I'm playing. This is one of my favorites. Miami 2017. This is a remarkable song. I would think you got to play this when you do a concert. Do you how do you plan the set list? And is the set list the same? When you're at the garden, or do you change it every show? We can change it at the garden. Right. We can change the set list at the garden. Um, and, and, and stadiums, we change it up all the time. Um, this song is, this is a New York song. You have to do this in New York City. I know. It's so beautiful. You like your voice on this one? No. No? Ugh, you're insane. I, I got the chill. I sounded like somebody else. Now, when you Brother, hear your own voice on, on your program, oh, uh, does it ever bother you? Oh, it bothers me. There's a million guys I'd rather sound like, but uh, what exactly. am I going to do? Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a good point. I mean, is there like a radio voice that you admire? Oh, my God. Sound like? Well, don't forget, I mean, my father was a recording engineer. And, uh, it, and and when I would see guys like 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 uh, some of the greatest announcers doing commercials up at his studio, everybody had a great voice. Raymond Burr had a voice that was so powerful. When he would do a commercial, it was phenomenal. And uh, you know, I you know all of the guys, all the uh, WMCA good guys, all the WABC guys, uh, right. who, uh, you know, all those guys, Herb Oscar Anderson. You know, they all had that delivery, and they were all like, you know, perfect. Oh, my God. They had beautiful voices. And I said, how am I going to be on the radio? I, hear you. I, I don't have a so voice like that. 
you have you suffer from the same complex that I do. I yes. I want to sound like other singers. I don't want to sound like me. I, I, I was thinking <laughs> if I was going to be a radio show host. I'd want to sound like Scott Muni. <laughs> oh, yeah, Scott Muni. Scott Muni, yeah. Spooky Tooth. Did you know Scott Muni? I mean, you must have known him. You must have done a couple of interviews with him back in the day. I, I met him a couple of times. We did some interviews, and I always liked listening. And Roscoe, he was the other guy. Roscoe was terrific. Yeah. Allison yeah. Steele was great. You know, uh, I worked I, with Allison Steele. I, um, yeah. When I was on K-Rock Radio. She was doing, it's so sad. She was doing overnights. She was an old woman. She actually died while she was working there, you know, like, yeah. uh, um, yeah. and, uh, well, I would come in the studio. I was the morning guy and it would be Allison still. I'm like, Oh my God. She's like, yeah. I worshiped her. You know, Hey, do you remember the first time you saw me? I remember the first time I saw you. We Where were did at, we see I was, you were working at NBC studios. You were on the main floor. There was a glass. <laughs> Thing you can see coming in the front door. There's Howard Stern doing his show, right? And I was uh, set up to do an interview that day with Soupy Sales. Oh Jesus! So <laughs> I walk in. I walk in the door with the Columbia Records guy, and yeah. Howard sees me and starts freaking out. Wait a minute, there's Billy Joel. Where's he going? How come he's not coming in? What he's going to do with with the other guy? He's going to. Yeah, how come he's doing Soupy Sales? He's not doing me. And you went off on a tangent. And oh I'm my thinking, God! Please. Please, God, I had nothing to do with this. Back in those days. Well, Billy, first of all, back in those days, I was insane. And first of all, Soupy was my boyhood hero. I loved the Soupy Sales TV show. I thought it was the greatest. And Soupy was my hero. And then when, because I was such a, a shithead, when they signed him to do Middays, I became irate. I didn't want anybody else on the stage. I didn't want anybody else having an interview. So when I must have seen you walk in and doing the fucking Soupy Sales show, I probably went berserk back there. I, I probably went berserk. I was out of my mind. You scared the hell out of me. I bet. Oh, my, I don't even remember that. Oh, that's horrible. That yeah. is horrible. Yeah, my Jeez. first memory of meeting you. Oh, my God. What an asshole I was. <laughs> I can't believe oh you ever God. showed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was scary. I don't know. I don't know how you do the set list for these live shows, Billy. I don't. But uh, listen, I've kept you long enough. I'm, I, I mean, I got a million questions. Uh, you know, what can I tell you? But Billy Joel, what can we say? This man is too much. He's a great dinner guest, first of all. If you can have him over your house. <laughs> well, not dinner, everybody can have him for dinner. He can't eat you don't know all, that. with everyone. <laughs> he would do that, I think. Uh, he loves he loves a good dinner. But, uh, I do. you know. I wonder if you're as much fun now that you lost the weight, if we have dinner again at some point. I still, I love to eat. I do. You do. I, um, I got to tell you, I love you. I don't adore you. I love you. Uh, you move me in ways that uh, few people can. Your music is, what can you say? It's, it's outstanding. The, the thing is, I don't know how the fuck you pick a, so how many songs do you do? When you play the, when you're coming up on this garden concert, how many songs are you going to do? Usually like 25, 26, maybe 28 mm -hmm. songs in a set. And and some of them you got to do, right? I mean, the, there's a couple you got to put in there. What are the, what are the go-tos? You got to have Piano Man. Right. Uh, New York, you got to do New York State of Mind, Miami 2017. Right. Um, depends on where we are. Uh, there are there are definitely go-tos. You yeah. got to do this. Moving out, right? 
You got him. Yes. You should have me put together your set list. That's what you need me. What'd you say about this song? It's a kicker. It's one of the bangers. Yeah. It gets the crowd going. Crowd likes people, tempo show, show uh, songs. Do people riot if you don't do Piano Man? Like, like literally, like start complaining? They feel like they're ripped off. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we didn't do it by the end of the show, they'd be yelling it out because that's happened. I tried to get away without doing Piano Man a couple of times. And you get to the end of the show, and they won't leave. They stand there, and they go, Piano Man, Piano Man, Piano Man. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess we got to do that one. Oh, it's such a mind-blowing show. God. Oh, man. I've had some. I saw you in Florida uh, do a show. I saw you in the garden do the show. I mean, I've been to a bunch of them, and each one is so special. I was um, at the last play at Shea. Don't leave me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robin was there. They, oh, you know what one you got to do? The, the most powerful song you do on stage, which is Good Night Saigon, I think. Mm. Um, when you do that, and then you sometimes call up veterans to get up on stage and sing with you on the chorus. What a powerful moment. How, when did, when yeah. did you start bringing, when did you start, when did you get the idea to bring those guys up on stage? Was it? Actually, right away, uh, when we were going to start to perform that song after I recorded it, which was like 80, 1982, um, we had the idea we should bring the vets up to sing the chorus with us. In uniform, if possible. Right. But originally, they were just, you know, like Vietnam vets, just wearing civilian clothes. Uh, and then it, it became a thing. So we always Can try you, to do that when we do that song. If you go on YouTube and you look up a performance of you doing this song live, I read the comments underneath. You probably don't, but I do. And every one of them, here's the comments, basically. Billy never went to Vietnam, but these are from veterans. But Billy understands the experience of Vietnam from a veteran's point of view. They they say they cry every time. It it, it gets them in the heart. And the you know normally they wouldn't respond to a guy who wasn't in Vietnam writing about Vietnam. But this song, they say, it gets them. It, it and, and they respect the song. Well, that's kind of them. I I really don't know emotionally what they went through. I only know right. secondhand because I was told by friends who were veterans this is how i felt this is what happened write this and mm -hmm. i essentially just wrote what they told me but were you uh, self-conscious writing it because you yes. didn't go to vietnam you were yes i thought i wasn't i wasn't worthy of actually writing what the first hand first person experience was but then i i read that the, the person who wrote the red badge of courage which is the definitive civil war book was written by Stephen Crane, and he was not a veteran. He wrote it from the other soldier's experience. Right, right. Do, do you ever write a song and say, oh, uh, I like this song, but I'm afraid people will think I'm a douchebag if I write this song, or it's too corny, or it's too, uh, I don't know, it's not rock and roll enough. It's not. Do you ever get so much self-doubt that you throw this song out? You've thrown out good songs that you love, but you just say, I don't think the public will understand them. There are some songs I, I was thinking about throwing out that became hits. Uh, Just the way you are, I thought, ah, this is too mushy. This is too too much of a, a wedding song type of song. And I right. didn't want to put it on the album, but it ended up being our first big hit. Um, we didn't start the fire. I thought, well, I don't know if people are going to understand what I'm talking about here because it's all just a bunch of names and events. Right. Um, and... 
who am I? What am I? Walt the Winchell? Uh, and, <laughs> Delivering the news, yeah. And it's uh, actually a lot. It's interpreted as an apologia for the baby boom, which is not what I meant at all. It's just wow. a bunch of headlines. Uh, hey, this is what happened, and then the world's a mess, and it's always going to be a mess. So uh, trying to second-guess myself about what I should put out an album sometimes is a mistake. Yeah, well, that was, well, who was the who was the was it Phoebe Snow? I read somewhere that uh, convinced Phoebe you to Snow put out Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, Linda, Linda Ronstadt. Phoebe Snow heard just the way you are, and they said you're crazy if you don't use this song on your album. You really, really? weren't going to. You were. I wasn't you were going. not going. Wow, not, that Linda Ronstadt, huh? What I mean, what a voice on her. What a oh, look. She had pipes. Yeah, she was. She was great. She was fantastic. But she couldn't write music. She had to rely on the songs of other people. But man, could she sing? Yeah. She had the greatest pipes. She came over my house once in Long Island. She was in Long Island, I think at Westbury Music Fair or something. Yeah. And she came over my house and my mom brought all these cult cuts over. I was it was a real thrill. <laughs> were you were you married at the time when she came over your house? Because I would think you'd fall in no, love. No, I was her. single. I was single. What? Did, yeah. did, did you uh, did you have did you attempt any romance with Linda Ronstadt at all? I, I was too intimidated. Really? She was so she was she was very sweet. She was very cute, and she ate like a pig. What's <laughs> 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 that Steve Martin thing? Uh, Jackie O and she ate like a pig. <laughs> <laughs> was, ah. Poor girl was she was hangry. You know what hangry is. Yeah, she hungry. Was so hungry, she just could couldn't get enough of the cold cuts my mom brought. <laughs> I can't but imagine I, I, that. Yeah. yeah, I was too intimidated. Really? No yeah. kidding. God, what a nice matchup. I was. I was oh. very scared. Great beauty, adorable, can sing. Imagine that little relationship. Oh, the two of you, my head spinning. Yeah, but she was there, and then she was gone. So that was it. How come you never fell in love with another musician? I'm thinking about you right now. That would have been powerful. You and I don't know, uh, Stevie Nicks maybe, or uh, I could have seen this. What? A, what although maybe ego-wise, it's too hard because if you're on a roll writing songs and your and your lover can't come up with a song, maybe it's a pain in the ass. Maybe it would have well, been a disaster. I mean, what would happen if I was married to a singer and they wanted me to write a song for them? Mm. Okay, you're a hit songwriter, so write a song for me. That would have kind of put a kink in the relationship a little bit. Mm. Uh, who needs that pressure? Um, also, you know, musicians, we have jokes about singers. Musicians look at singers sometimes like, yeah, you yell in key, you know, big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you're screaming in key, who cares? Uh, we have a joke, how many lead singers does it take to change a light bulb? How many? How many? One. They hold the light bulb, and the entire world revolves around them. <laughs> so you're you're saying that joke about yourself, and then if you if you get into a relationship with another person like that, it would be probably explosive, is what you're saying. It'd probably be a disaster. I mean, I don't even think of myself as a lead singer. I happen to be the guy in this band that sings the songs. And they put the piano a little bit more out front. I'm always arguing with the stage guys. Can you move the piano back closer to the band? I want to be in the band. I don't want to be the lead singer. I want to be in the band. Because when I'm on stage, I'm thinking of it as a band. Not as me, Billy Joel, the lead singer. I'm hmm. the star. I always think of it as an ensemble. And I work with the band. Which is probably why I paid them when we were off for COVID. 
because yeah. I'm part of that band. Uh, yeah. That's how I like to think of what we do when we perform live. It's all a band effort. Isn't it funny, Billy, how I have these fantasies? Like if I was you, that I'd want to be with another powerful singer. Like there would be this tremendous union of talents as we, you know, like when you read about Graham Nash and Joni Mitchell having this love affair and they, and Graham writes our house while Joni's putting flowers in the vase. You know what I mean? I, I, I fantasize that life, but you want nothing to do with that. Absolutely nothing to do with it. Well, uh, I know what it's like to be the singer and mm -hmm. I, and, to fall in love with like a woman who that was her job, I see it being contentious. Uh, I see it, be, you know. You, you, I think you think it's sexy to have yeah. two like pop singing stars combine is, their yeah. talent as <laughs> as if it's some kind of cosmic energy will happen. It's you know, it's magical just to have a regular relationship. Who needs all that other crap? <laughs> you don't need, you got enough going on. Listen, yeah. Billy, you've been very gracious. The next time, if I ever get you back on here, I'm going to ask you about George Martin and the decision to uh, not have him produce The Stranger. That's something I want, but I know I've kept you long enough. You probably have to pish. I have to pish. Everyone here has to pish. If you know well, what Well, let's I'm do this about. again, though. Let's do it again. I miss you. Uh, again, I just want to say thank you, number one, for doing this. You know how thrilled I am every time you come on. Uh, I'm Billy just happy is, to see you. Am I going to see yes, you thanks. anytime soon? Yeah, you are, actually. We got we to gotta work that out. Uh, okay. You know, yeah. Billy returns for his monthly residency at the Garden on November 5th. Billy Joel, the vinyl collection. Check it out. Volume 1 will be available next Friday. Uh, listen through the weekend to the Billy Joel channel, Sirius XM Channel 70. Billy will come on, pop on there, and talk about some of his favorite music. And uh, you're just... I love you. Thank you for doing this. And uh, thank you for all of the great music and all of the great entertaining that you do. I'm, you know, I'm beyond a fan. All thank right, you, Billy. Howard. All right, lots of love. It's a pleasure to have you here again. Thanks, and, and, Robin. And, and, I, and I look forward to having a 25-minute dinner with you. I have a plan <laughs> where we're going to get in and out in 25 minutes. It's going to be over. That's right. Let's go for yeah. it. <laughs> we're going to do it. Don't worry. The Let's dream will happen. All right. Take care, cool. Billy. There he is. The amazing Bye. Billy Joel. The amazing Billy Joel. What can I tell you? What a talent. I there can't he believe he, he really doesn't like his own voice. You know, I, I really thought that that was a bunch of uh, baloney. But then I, when he said, when, when he, you listen to right, your own voice yeah. and you hear yourself on the radio and he's right, I, I, I go, oh, gosh, what is that? Um, well, I I know that you know, and and as a painter, you you know it too, that you're trying to create something, and it has a look and a sound and a feel and a texture, and and yeah. if you can't bring that out because you don't have those skills, you know. So he's writing about you know a song based on his love of Gordon Lightfoot, and then Billy Joel is singing it. You know, right. I guess that can be eerie. Anyway, great guy, uh, really amazing. And I uh, want to thank Billy again for doing that, Robin. So and, generous um, to give us all that time. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? I just took that time. I don't know that he even wanted to give it. Well, he he didn't leave. <laughs> no, he didn't get up and walk out, so that was good. All no, right, he listen. Did, he did agree. <laughs> We're going to see you next time, uh, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole bunch of stuff we didn't get to, but, you know, there's always the next show. We're going to do that and. uh and uh, that's it, right, Robin? Unless uh, that, yeah, that's, that's it. all oh, she wrote. Yeah. Uh, next Tuesday, uh, Kristen Stewart's going to stop by, and also, I should. Well, I don't know if uh, Ed Sheer Ed Sheeran's supposed to be with us, but I know he's 
He's had to cancel a bunch of things, so I don't know if he's yeah, going to be I with just, us tonight. I saw that he was on The Voice this week, but that's probably mm-hmm. recorded or something. Yeah, I think. And then he was supposed to do Saturday Night Live, right? And you don't know yeah. if he's going to do that. I don't think he can do that. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. See you next time. Bye.